Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Wow, here we go again. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting outside. It's foggy out there. And I always love fog. There's kind of like an air of mystery about it, sort of a you know a combination of, of Monty Python's knights, you know, and, and Holy Grail to mysterious, you know, trolls and all kinds of other things. And the the great, you know, um, horror film with Adrian Barbeau from years and years ago, The Fog, uh, a San Francisco classic for all of you cult film classics who like films like Pulp Fiction and The Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and of course the all-time favorite Starship Troopers. But I digress. Uh, once again, election was stolen. <laughs> I am absolutely convinced of that, uh, because how else would a would a Marxist wacko like uh, like the Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock get elected in a, in a conservative American Southern state like Georgia? You know, I mean, uh, this this makes no sense. And not only did he elect, he got elected twice. <laughs> not only that, he uh, you know, I mean, the cheating is, is, is has has to be rampant. There's no other explanation for this because Georgians aren't that stupid. Uh, unless, of course, the Republicans did everything to turn them off or, or just allowed for all kinds of vote fraud in Atlanta. We'll find out. I mean, I've got, I've got an article here by Emerald Robinson, uh, and I've got some other stuff on, on the, the cheating. And, of course, I'll be asking uh, our new election integrity reporter, uh, Diane Warner, to come at, you know, at length you know, on this tomorrow, which should be kind of interesting. So tomorrow is an interesting day. Tomorrow we have David Stockman. And David Stockman was uh, Ronald Reagan's budget director. You know, he was young and feisty and, you know, uh, hopefully I'm, he's, he's a little bit older and still feisty because <laughs> I got a question for him on the constitutional amendment to balance the budget. He's got a whole book on, uh, on inflation, which I'll be studying outrageously between now and tomorrow uh, after today's show is over. Th- that's the thing about radio. You can only do one show at a time. And so the reason this seems kind of last minute all the time is because it is, <laughs> you know, and, and so it, there's like a brain dump that, go, uh, dump that goes on after a show. So I study up for the show uh, from the day before, get everything ready in my brain. And then at the end of the show, I just like dump it. It's just like, you know, it's like uh, uh, down the pipe. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and then I start again for the next show. And it's the only way you can have space in your brain to, you know, amass enough stuff to actually do one of these things, which is really kind of interesting. It's, it's a fascinating process. So if you, if you want to increase your memory capacity, go into radio <laughs> and, uh, and, and try and, uh, you know, master all these things. Okay, now today, for lack of coverage on the news, is December 7th. It is Pearl Harbor Day. It is the anniversary of the allegedly sneak attack. Uh, I say allegedly because I don't think it was a sneak attack at all. I think they knew well in advance. And that's what I want to talk about today. And so the attack on Pearl Harbor on December 17th, excuse me, December, December 17th is when the Wright brothers invented the airplane. Okay, I'll get my date straight. So December 7th, 1941. So it's the end of, it's basically the end of 41, we're practically in 1942. So the Germans had been at war since 1939 when they invaded Poland. And before that, they were just taking territory like Austria and various other places. So war had already started three years, basically three years previously. Uh, it started in, um, between Japan and China in 1937. And that was five years previously. So 37 to 42, basically. So, so Japan had already been at war for about five years. And Germany had already been at war for about three years before we were sneak attacked. You know, the rest of the world is at war and we get sneak attacked? Oh, come on, give me a break. Of course they knew it was coming. In, in fact, it looks like the more I read about this, the more I see that uh, not only did uh, we know the attack was coming, we did everything possible to cause it so that we'd have a pretense for getting in World War II. This is, uh, this is fairly common uh, for wars. You look at any 
uh, of our wars. You know, Afghanistan, we had to invade Afghanistan to stop the Taliban, which was based in Pakistan at the time, from uh, invading us, you know, further after 9-11. Really? We had to go to Iraq to stop weapons of mass destruction, which they didn't have. We had to go to, North, we had to, go to Vietnam to stop the Domino Theory from other countries going communist, which is, of course, what the left has planned for us all along. Uh, we had to go to Korea to, uh, I don't know what we had to go to Korea for, to, to impose the United Nations you know, uh, war on a, a country that was unnecessarily split. You know, if you split a country into north and south for no reason, I mean, didn't we learn from the Civil War? You know, when, when countries become split, and we did that to ourselves. But the UN, I think, split Korea and Vietnam. You, you, split, uh, you split North Korea into North and South, and you get a war. You split Vietnam into North and South, and you get a war. See, these are all engineered. I don't think these are accidents at all. World War II? Uh, well, kinda, I mean, Europe sort of backed into that like they backed into World War I. But that was their problem. Now, Japan was our problem. Uh, but it was a problem that we, we didn't have to go to war with Japan. Um, well, that, that's an interesting question. Let me, let me think about that, think of that through a little bit. I think that uh, it had Pearl Harbor not happened, or had we known about it, or had we uh, uh, blockaded or surrounded uh, the, the Japanese fleet and said, you know what? If you launch your airplanes, we're going to shoot them down and sink all your ships. That, that might have been a very interesting outcome. Uh, another outcome of World War II was the fact that I think we, we fought our Pacific strategy. Our, slow down, Greg. I'm getting excited. Our Pacific strategy sucked. Because this idea of going island to island to island and, and attacking every large Japanese-held island and the Philippines and all these things was nuts. If you want to stop an enemy, you, you cut their supply lines. And Admiral King, one of, one of my uh, more interesting favorite figures in history, did exactly that. That was his plan. So there, there were two dominant strategies in World War II in the Pacific. Uh, the, uh, the first one was uh, General MacArthur's. We're going to invade the Philippines. We're going to invade everywhere else, you know. And I think uh, Nimitz and Halsey kind of followed along with that. Um, Admiral King did not. Uh, and Admiral King is, is kind of like the, the George Patton of the Pacific. And so his plan was to cut straight across the Japanese supply lines, separating Japan uh, about mid-Pacific mid from – and we could have done this after Midway uh, – and just cut off the supplies. And now all those, uh, you know, with because the, they had lesser um, – I guess, uh, some, you know, fortifications on these middle uh, islands that the Japanese were holding. The big ones were the Philippines and the South Pacific and things like that, and on the way to Australia. Now, of course, we had to aid Australia and the Korean in the, in the Battle of Coral Sea. That's a different thing, too. But the point is that there was an alternative strategy that Roosevelt didn't take. He took the, the MacArthur, let's invade at all costs, island hopping, you know, one of the bloodiest campaigns in, in, in all of World War history was the Pacific campaign. And it looks like there wasn't much reason for it. Um, because we could have cut the supply lines, uh, invaded Japan directly, or at least taken out their, their, their war machine, you know, sunk the ships, destroyed the airfields, cut the, you know, bombed the factories, uh, and done all that. And then the other question, of course, is whether unconditional surrender was the only option. And of course, it wasn't. There was surrender with, and I was reading about this earlier, with uh, Japan keeping their emperor uh, and just having basically their country destroyed and, you know, having, having negotiated surrender. And this is how wars usually end with a negotiated surrender as opposed to unconditional. Unconditional means there are no conditions. It means the country completely surrenders. Well, that's unusual in world history. Most, most countries don't do that. So the question is, why do we go for unconditional and not consider other options? So these are the things I like to ask about um, on, this, on this Pearl Harbor day. You know, it's, it's uh, am I second-guessing and what-ifing a little bit? But uh, I think we have to take a look at this and realize that Pearl Harbor, uh, how could they not know? We, we blockaded Japanese oil. You know, we had, uh, well, let me just read an article for you here. So I found this. It's called Narratives of World War II in the Pacific. And it's Pearl Harbor, U.S. Knowledge of the Attack. Uh, it's by Gregory Pepper. 
And there's a bunch of uh, this, this is well sourced. Okay, this is, they're not just you know pulling this out of thin air. We've got uh, Morton Kaplan, the world, and I. Uh, why Roosevelt wanted Japan to attack Pearl Harbor. Uh, we got uh, Noda Mishuaru uh, Mitsusharu. There we go. Uh, on Admiral Yamamoto's flagship. Uh, we got a Pearl Harbor book, uh, Phillips Encyclopedia. We've got a review of the Pearl Harbor myth, uh, Rethinking the Unthinkable, and that's uh, Jane Shaw. We, so anyways, we've got some good – you can check the article. Uh, I'll be posting it after the show. Things, again, got yeah, a touch behind. Okay, so if you're wondering where Bill Fecky is, he will be off until January. So he's, he's gotten busy, uh, and so he'll be back. But uh, in the meantime, I'll be chatting with you. And so uh, 215-383-3832 is the phone number. Um, also, you can go to our live chat uh, at the bottom of your broadcast page. You can sign in and, and join the chat on live chat. Uh, I probably won't be looking at that for a bit. Wendy Arthur is joining us at the bottom of the hour. And at the top of the, of the next hour, top of the second hour, Deborah Viglione. Dr. Uh, Dr. Viglione is coming back as I want to discuss further uh, her book, COVID-19 and Beyond, uh, COVID-19 Vaccines and Beyond, What the Pharmaceutical Industry Isn't Telling You. And it just so happens by, by, by coinciding that uh, Senator Ron Johnson is holding a hearing on that very subject at, excuse me, at noon Eastern and 11 a.m. Central Time. And so we're here in Milton, Florida uh, on Central Time. And so I've, I've, I've sent him my invite. You know, I want to be, I want to listen into the roundtable discussion, but I also sent him our two bills, one on vaccine product liability and the other on ending big tech censorship. These are the two most critical bills to stop the COVID abuse that's been going on uh, from government since Dr. Fascist reared his ugly head and said that we all need vaccines for a virus that's already here that can easily be killed with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And so we know that story. We've been talking about it since February of 2020. So let me get back to this article here. U.S. Knowledge on the Attack of Pearl Harbor by Gregory Pepper. Did the U.S. government really know about the attack on Pearl Harbor? And if they did, did they try to cover up the knowledge? Everyone has been taught that the attack on Pearl Harbor was a sneak attack without warning that was orchestrated by the Japanese Empire. The Japanese Navy Force attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 19. Slow down, Greg. December 7th, 1941, was unobserved until it was too late. And when it finally, and when it was finally observed, it was you know, too late. When the smoke cleared that awful Sunday morning, there were 2,400 people killed, 300 aircraft damaged or destroyed, and 1,800 destroyed ships. Just to put this in perspective, uh, our non-nuclear bombing of Japan killed over half a million people. Just to put this in perspective, uh, 9/11 killed over 3,000. Just to put this in perspective, and that was a combination of uh, Saudi operatives, and it was done by Iran. So the nation that attacked us in our worst terrorist attack, attack on 9/11, both the, the branded insurrection and the Obama administration, which might be called an insurrection depending on uh, uh, what you what you think of uh, of the Obama folks, whether he was actually able to run uh, for president, um, were rewarding the enemies. <laughs> All right, so. So this is very strange to me that Iran, a nation that orchestrated the 9-11 attack, uh, is the nation that they want to give a nuclear bomb to. Now, that sounds a little incongruous. The, the, the going for unconditional surrender with Japan and killing half a million of their people in firestorm raids where literally entire cities were burned and everybody in them, pretty much, well, not everybody, but uh, you know, a ridiculous amount of people were killed in, return, in retaliation for Pearl Harbor, which is something it looks like we orchestrated. These are the things you have to think about. Okay, uh, these are things you're probably not going to hear much about on the news. In fact, you'd be lucky to hear about Pearl Harbor at all. But that's why I'm talking about it. All right, back to the article. Uh, it says Sunday morning. Okay, all right. It says, but what if that was not the case? What if you know? In other words, what if it was not a surprise attack? What if the U.S. government knew about the attack before it happened? 
it is a little weird that the only three aircraft carriers in the entire U.S. Navy went out on a training mission the day before the attack happened. Or that U.S. Raider picked up a mass of unknown aircraft heading towards Hawaii, but it was said to be an error in the radar equipment and to ignore it? <laughs> How did the U.S. government instigate the forces of Japan into attacking the U.S.? What does the other side tell us about the attack? And how did the U.S. government try to cover up the knowledge of the attack? Most acts of violence can be rooted back to an instigation that one side of the conflict did to the other side. For example, when President Lincoln was elected to be president of the United States, and then the South opened fire on Fort Sumter, and the Civil War started. I think they have to go a little further to explain that. I think there's a, there's a connection that I'm not seeing just yet, but it's in the article, so I wanted to uh, present it to you. Then the article says the U.S. government wanted to do the same thing, except this time against another country and not itself. It all started when Secretary of War Henry L. Stimson wrote sometime before the attack from the Japanese. And here's the quote. The question was how we should maneuver them into firing the first shot without allowing too much danger to ourselves. That's it right there. <laughs> you know, they're just smoking gun. All right. So, so how did they do that? So what they did, and you, and you know what happened in history, right? The aircraft carriers weren't there. The battleships that were destroyed were World War I vintage battleships. If you ever see pictures of the Arizona, you know, you look at the Missouri. That was the ship that where the uh, surrender, the unconditional surrender was signed, was a completely different ship than the Arizona. The Arizona had the big bridges sitting up way high. Uh, it was a time before, it was, I think it was built before the airplane, or at least before the airplane was a, was a real weapon. Uh, and so, they, so we lost our World War I battleships. And I've been to Pearl Harbor. I mean, I've, I've stood on the, on the Arizona Memorial, which was built by Elvis Presley, by the way, for those that didn't know that. Um, it's, it's really fascinating. And yes, the oil still is bubbling up from the Arizona. Uh, and it is a place I think everybody should visit. But if you look at the pictures of the Arizona itself, it was an old battleship. So they lined up our World War I battleships, which the, the planners, I mean, the really bright people already knew would, would play a, a relatively minor part in the war. I mean, the last big naval battle was World War I. It was called Jutland, uh, where the British and the Germans met uh, in the North Sea, and the Germans lost <laughs> big time. <laughs> uh, and so that was, but that was World War I before the airplane was a viable weapon. So this is a World War I. Uh, most of our battleships there were World War I vintage battleships. Not going to be a whole lot of use in a war that was won by aircraft carriers. All right. Now, now, of course, the aircraft carrier, I believe, is obsolete because of missiles. But we can talk about that sometime, too. Let's get back to the quote. So I've got my quote here, and let me go back where I was, and it says, okay, so let me read the quote again. The question was how we should maneuver them into firing the first shot without allowing too much danger to ourselves. So this is back to the article. So the U.S. government kept trying to figure out how to have it look like that Japan started the war for no reason. The answer was found with Lieutenant Commander Arthur McCollum's eight-point memorandum. Each point of this memorandum was designed to produce an attack from the Japanese. One part of the memorandum was to send American warships uh, by Japanese fleet units. Another part of the memorandum was to station a vulnerable capital fleet in Pearl Harbor. Let me get you the footnote on that. At least you, you doubt me. And that's from uh, Morton Kaplan, a review of the world, uh, why Roosevelt wanted Japan to attack Pearl Harbor, October 2000. Pages 288 and 290 to 299, in case you doubt the sincerity uh, of that particular quote. Uh, it says here, the months before the attack on Pearl Harbor, the U.S. government tried to instigate the forces of Japan into attacking the U.S. after the peace negotiations with the Japanese government failed. The commanders of the Navy and the Army were telling its commanders in charge of U.S. territories what to expect and what to do. The message, you guys ever see the movie Tora, Tora, Tora? 
you know, and and uh, some and, and Pearl Harbor. <laughs> okay, those are great Hollywood productions. I should get Mario back on the line. Mario uh, Prado, uh, who did the uh, who's producing the film uh, The Falcon, which were was. Which Action Radio is, is getting more and more involved with. Uh, it's quite fascinating that um, that here we are as as doing what uh, what may be done in the film. We don't know yet, but uh, we'll see how the story goes. But the idea that they they want to have uh, you know a situation where we the people are writing legislation, so they've gone to the organi- only organization attached to a radio show where we the people are writing legislation. In other words, Action Radio. It's fascinating. All right. Back to the back to uh, the thing it says in the army and you know, telling commanders what to do. The message that was sent this is back to the article. The message that was sent to General Douglas MacArthur, who was based in Manila, uh, that's in the Philippines, and part of the message said, "quote Japanese future action unpredictable, but hostile action possible at any moment. If hostilities cannot repeat, cannot be avoided, the United States desires that Japan commit the first overt act. In other words, get them to shoot first. Right? It's right here. This is more evidence. Right?" All of this happened on November 28, 1941, nine days before the, fate, the fateful day that will go down in infamy. So the U.S. instigated the Japanese into attacking Pearl Harbor, well, the U.S. The US government did. And I, I am absolutely convinced the United States, the people, didn't want another war after World War I. Uh, there was the, the, the so-called isolationist movement. Uh, that's what people demonize, the people that don't want to go to war for no reason. Okay, we're called isolationists. Uh, that would make me an isolationist. I don't want to go for no go to war for no reason. I want a really, really good reason. Really good reason. Okay? Yes, a sneak attack on Pearl Harbor would be a really good reason if, in fact, it was a sneak attack. I, I don't think it was. I think it was instigated to get us into a world war because, well, part of the reason is, and I'll, I'll do this on a future show, uh, that uh, World War II got us out of the Depression. Really? Is that, is that, your, is that, is that your excuse? You know, uh, uh, a world war on two fronts with Germany and Japan, you know, to improve our economy? <laughs> And, and, and we let loose two atomic bombs that may not have necessarily needed to be done at all, and I'm, I'm not convinced they were. That's something. That's one of the arguments I took up with Dr. Peter Pry, that he was all for the, the nuclear bombing of Japan. I said, no, there was no reason to. The problem was unconditional surrender. You don't need unconditional surrender to end a war. You know, you, you, you need a negotiated settlement. That's how, you know, do you, do you think we're going to get unconditional surrender with Ukraine? No. Pianchi's on the line. Let's get to him before Wendy gets here. Good morning, Pianchi. Sneak attack, or we or we instigated it? Well, first of all, commemoration for Pearl Harbor Day and those people that gave their life for such a wonderful cause. Well, and listen, I'm not saying anything against the people who gave their lives. Believe me, I honor the people who went there, who lost their lives. I went to, I took my daughter to the Arizona Memorial. We talked about this. We specifically went there so that she would understand what happened. We stood over that ship that's still underwater. So, so don't think for a second that, and anybody who's listening, I mean, not Pianchi, but don't think for a second that I'm not honoring the people that died there. Just the contrary. I'm questioning whether they died for the reasons that we all think they died for. That's the difference. Pianchi, back to you. Well, they died because the people died because they was, the, the country was attacked mm-hmm. by Japanese who had these inspirations. The emperor had mm-hmm. had them for quite some time. Hell, the, the Japan used to beat the heck up on uh, China. Well, they already they still were. Do. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier in the show, that Japan was at war with China from 1937. And Japan was not a decent yeah, country. That I mean, the rape of Nanking, I mean, the Japanese were horrible. Matter of fact, just, uh, the Japanese leaders realized what the heck they had done, finally. 
Well, well, Yamamoto, Yamamoto's famous quote, all I fear we have done is awakened a sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible resolve. You know, we all learned that quote at the end of Torah, Torah, Torah. But yeah, and he's absolutely right. But that, he was ordered to do it. That so was they had the a, greatest society that uh-huh. this nation of people, the people in the society, mm-hmm. if we only had that type of, of patriotism and loyalty for mm-hmm. the cause of liberty in that today as they had then. But what is, is it patriotism to start a war with Japan to get us out of a depression or because the, the, you want to go to war? Is that patriotism? I'm not talking about the soldiers and the sailors. I'm talking about, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Henry L. Stimson, the Secretary of War. I'm talking about, you know, the fact that Billy Mitchell back in the 20s, he was court-martialed, I think, per, you know, a lot for this, saying that Japan is going to attack us on a Sunday morning, you know, and, uh, and it's gonna, they're going to hit Pearl Harbor. So, we, we, you know, he was already forecasting that, you know, what, 20 years before it happened? So well, how can we, we say always can look back and, and we always can look back and put uh, what we call phenomenal occurrences mm-hmm. and try to associate them one way or the other. You know, hindsight mm-hmm. is, as they say, is some of your best eyesight, but sure. uh, you never know. Well, well, think about this. Okay, so let's let's advance let's advance this. So, if and I'm sure it was known that FDR. Uh, and, and various people in Congress, because they would have had to fund this, uh, and the military-industrial complex, you know, Henry Ford and the whole bit, right? They would have had to, uh, um, I'm sure they all met and talked about this, but uh, the thing was that war was what the government wanted, okay? So if we analyze it and go, hmm, yeah, it looks like they knew. Uh, in fact, not only did they know, they actually instigated, they planned it, they put Japan in a position, uh, not forcing them to attack us, because they certainly weren't doing that, but they, you know, they certainly encouraged it. And they, they took every precaution to make the attack as, as um, strong enough to, to make Americans furious and want to go to war, but not so strong that we lost our aircraft carriers. See, the aircraft carriers weren't there. See, the inconsistencies. We had the radar. We knew the Japanese were flying in. You know, and first of all, they said, well, it's American bombers. Well, American bombers well, from the West Japanese Coast don't fly in from the there, North. But they didn't pay no attention to it. Nah, Nobody made that. Japan yeah. do what Japan did. Japan did what it did because it wanted to. Mm-hmm. Japan's leaders done what they did because they wanted to. Mm-hmm. I mean that goes with the, that goes with when you elect and put irresponsible leadership into position. Mm-hmm. No, no, I think I, you're right. I mean Japan absolutely did this. I mean I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not uh, approving of you know at all. I'm not trying to make it uh, do you know sympathy for Japan for attacking Pearl Harbor. What I'm saying was that the, our government knew about it, helped instigate it, and probably could have prevented it. You know, we could have uh, attacked the Japanese fleet in the ocean. There's a lot of things that could have been done. The well, preparations they, they could have been couldn't find the Japanese fleet. Mm-hmm. The radar uh, wasn't not surface radar. Radar that they had, you couldn't look on the ground. Mm-hmm. So we're in the, the water. Uh, we didn't have GPS at that time. Yeah. So were any of the airplane, uh, were any of the aircraft carriers uh, in a position to be searching? You know, did they have their planes ranging out hundreds of miles? Only way you could spot the... Uh, ships were through scout planes. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. And I'm they didn't have saying. to fly so low to get from underneath the cloud cover. You know, a yeah. lot of the things, a lot of the uh, events that went on, uh, if the cloud cover was not there, they mm-hmm. never would have been successful because they would have been spotted. Hell, United States ships, the Japanese couldn't see them from a scout plane. 
in mm-hmm. some of the cases, I think they're leading up to Midway. Let me uh, let me finish the article here, and then we'll have a couple of minutes before we can before Wendy gets here. We can uh, we we can uh, talk about this. Anyway, this is only two little paragraphs. Well, maybe three. It says history has always had two sides to the same story. You have the winners and you have the losers. History is normally written by the winners, and this is what everyone goes by. But the loser side of history adds something to that to that winner's story, and the whole picture becomes clearer. What proves that the U.S. government knew about the attack on Pearl Harbor comes from the Japanese themselves. Before the attacks uh, that Japan did on September 7, 1941, Noda Mitsuharu uh, heard when they emerged from the, the operations room after the drafting, the final order uh, far, uh, for the greater offense in the Pacific. He says, I witnessed Yamamoto confirming once again, he said, the quote is, without fail, the Americans have been given notice, have they not? And, and so it can be noted that Admiral Yamamoto Isokuru, uh, the person in charge of the attack, would not order the attack that would go down in infamy unless the U.S. government had been given a forewarning of the attack. One way to make it look like the losers are lying to the world is to cover up the whole incident. So, like I say, there's, there's more to this. He says, after the war was over, there were many official investigations on the attack of Pearl Harbor, and the cover-up of Pearl Harbor started. One such investigation, uh, the Army Pearl Harbor Board, wrote that all expected an attack on Pearl Harbor, but when testifying after the Pearl Harbor attack, they did not expect it. The statement shows that high-ranking officials knew about the attack before it even happened, but the war, but with the war over these same, let me see if I get this right, but with the war over these same officials would say they had no idea about the attack. I think I have a misprint in there. The top brass went to great lengths to cover up and to suppress the information on the attack, even after the war ended. Because of this, no one will ever know how much information on the knowledge of Pearl Harbor was covered up by high-ranking officials in the armed forces and in the White House or even how high up the command, uh, command line it went. So the U.S. government did know about the attack on Pearl Harbor, and it tried to cover up that knowledge uh, of it. But let's not forget that they did not just know about the attack from the Japanese, but that they instigated Japan into attacking the U.S. Did the American government really have uh, the right to do this? This is the question. Well, America was still suffering from the Great Depression at the time, and Roosevelt realized that going to war would get the U.S. out. We're going to take that topic up on another show. <clears throat> but no one... In America, wanted to go overseas to go fight in a war that they had no part in. But this still did not give them the right to put American lives in the crosshairs of the Japanese government. So this is the part that, that, that galls me, that they used those soldiers and sailors at Pearl Harbor as, as victims to get us into a war. That's well, the part I don't that makes me most upset. If, okay, if that's Japan fine. Knew that, if Japan knew that America knew that they was going to attack, then why in the hell did they attack? That don't make any sense. That's a good if question. you know if if you know that your opponent is gonna throw an uppercut, then why do mm-hmm. you bend over? No, you stand <laughs> straight up and you back up. Okay. Well, do you think? See, this is a question I don't know. This will take some exploring. Do you think Japan knew that we knew? Well, that's what the art. That's what the writer is saying. No, what the writer was saying is that the U.S. government knew of the Japanese attack. It doesn't say that the Japanese. What it says about the Japanese is that they were. You know, Yamamoto, before ordering the attack, uh, had confirmed that the, that, uh, the Japanese government had officially informed the United States government and confirmed that we knew. So as far as the Japanese were concerned, we knew about the attack that they were going to do. It stops right where he said that uh, Japan, that the United States knew that Japan was going to attack. Then if the United States knew that Japan was going to attack, then why would Japan attack? 
That's a good question. Uh, arrogance, a mistake. Uh, they were run by a military dictatorship under Tojo. You know, they already had victories in China. That's a good question. You know, that would take some further People research. People don't use common sense no more. I mean, that is a great element to survival. Uh-huh. It's plain old simple common sense. They don't use it. Well, see, I think we always got these pundits that come along with these narratives after something. They always after something occurs, mm-hmm. and then they try to explain it. Well, why didn't you write about that before it occurred? Of course, I guess he wasn't living it, but I'm sure somebody well, like was. Say, Billy Mitchell did. Uh, Billy, did. Billy Mitchell forecasted for years in advance, like 20 years. I forgot what his court martial was, but he had already forecast that. Yeah, well, maybe he had some extrasensory perceptions. Okay, so let me just ask you, i got one more paragraph, and then we've got Wendy on the line. I'll, I'll get her in on, this, her in on this in a little bit, too, uh, if she wants to. But uh, do you think that Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, the cabinet, the war cabinet, various members of Congress, various industrialists in this country, knew about this ahead of time, and various commanders in the Pacific, particularly no, I don't. Harvard? Okay, that's fine. I, don't I think, think they did. knew about it ahead of time. I know Chrysler didn't know about it before ahead of time. Yeah, well, maybe they didn't. But uh, let's say I th- – I see, I believe they did. I believe Franklin Roosevelt knew about it. I believe they did everything to help cause it, and I believe they let it happen, but they only let us – they only let the Japanese destroy things that we didn't need. In other Roosevelt words, World War I area, area battleships. What's that? Roosevelt didn't want to get into the war. You don't think so? I think he did. I think he, no, I think he, he didn't. Wanted, he didn't want, oh, he didn't he want he did. uh, Churchill – Tried to come up with all kinds of things to get Americans into the war, even letting go of those balloons. <laughs> that well, uh, we did get into the war. Let's make uh, Wendy's line live. And uh, before we start our Oh My God report, Wendy, Bianca and I have a have a, uh, a complete disagreement on this issue, which is kind of interesting. To tell you the truth, I don't know enough about it, um, you know, and all the inner workings and all that kind of stuff to make uh-huh. an intelligent conversation about this. <laughs> Okay. So, well, that's yeah, fine. Now, if you ask Mike, you know, he he's all about World War Two and all that kind of stuff, and he, mm-hmm. he he loves history and all that kind of thing. But you know, I, I'm I'm not the person to you know contribute anything. <laughs> that's fine. Okay. So that. if if Mike can like signal you, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down, did Roosevelt know about Pearl Harbor in advance? That'd be kind of interesting. You can make a quick conversation, uh, mute yourself as I play your theme, and we'll come back to your report. Okay. Here we go. Do you really want the truth? Do you have questions you can't ask in church? Welcome to the Oh My God Report. Wendy Arthur is more concerned with truth than propaganda, putting more value in scripture than religion, and more about you and your relationship with God than your membership in any church. This is Christianity with a Kick. Oh my God, Wendy. It's Wendy. Oh, my God. <laughs> good morning. And Pianchi, good morning. I, I've missed hearing from you. Yeah, good morning to you also, Wendy. And I got a – I really kind of teed off about some things this morning. Uh-oh. Uh, and I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. But you got these schools that won't allow kids to celebrate Christmas. They won't allow, allow, allow manger scenes to be put up. That's totally wrong. And parents need to move to have where their children can celebrate Christmas. And they can, if they want to put up a manger scene, they should be able to put up a manger scene. 
I get sick and tired of these idiots trying to control the beliefs and the convictions that people have. That is totally dumb. And people should stop sitting down and letting that allow to happen. Oh, I absolutely agree with you about that. I absolutely do. Um, and if, if enough parents would raise fans at the school board meeting, you know, that would change. Um, and and here's, here's the thing. Students can do that, but it can't be led by a teacher, just like they can pray in school, but it can't be led by a teacher or any faculty. So, um, and that needs to be worked on to get that changed. But, um, but yes, student-led anything can happen, but they, the problem is the faculty tells them, no, that's not allowed, and the students don't know any better, and the parents don't know any better. It's time for parents to start educating themselves about what their rights are. But you're absolutely right. And, and how can you celebrate Christmas and then take Jesus out of it? Jackie? You guys are on well, the yeah, whole thing. I'm just I'm letting you go. This is great. Yeah, that's what it should be. You know, you got ignorant things going on. For instance, the way that people who wasn't vaccinated was not allowed had to come up with stupid ideas like passport. Well, now since the data has turned around, said that those that's been vaccinated are the majority of the people that's dying. Well, I don't want those people that's been vaccinated around me. So they need to sit outside at the restaurant. They need to have a vast uh, a passport to travel. If you've been vaccinated, you need to sit over there. <laughs> well, we have no smoking section, so why can't we have a, 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 a you know a non you know a non vax injured section? Well, it's funny you should say that, Pianki, and we're going to cover this uh, not today, but uh, I've got an article. There's an international blood bank being set up right now so that people can get transfusions and hospital operations with uh, non-polluted blood, with non-vaccine coagulating, COVID-filled, blood-clotting blood. blood. And so this is going to be huge. That's the way it should be. Well, we talked about this at the very first days of COVID. In fact, I think I – you know, I was one of the first or, or, you know, very early on asking about separate blood supplies because I remember with AIDS, the first thing to do with AIDS was they separated the blood. You could not donate blood That's if you right. had yeah. AIDS. You could, you know, and so why would you, you know, uh, because you didn't want to transfer that. Well, why would you want to do that unless you're using hospitals and transfusions to get to those that have refused to voluntarily uh, take a COVID jab and have their, their entire you know, genetics screwed up as well as the rest of their life? Um, you do it when they're when they're well, out cold. And, you will, and you'll remember that people did get um, AIDS from blood transfusions because they mm-hmm. did not screen them as they should. Oh, I know a person that got it that way. Now they're fine, but yeah. they, 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 so, they got it, and then, yeah, so, but, so but it was treatable. Thing, you know, if you knew how to, you know, yeah. There will be people who try to infiltrate the pure blood banks, you know, mm-hmm. with the contaminated vaccine blood. That's right. Yeah. And, and and I wouldn't let my kids play with kids that's been vaccinated. They trying in you know, some city, uh, some state on the East Coast is requiring all kids to show vaccine. Well, I don't want my kids playing with them. Well, if the you answer come to is the always. store and want to buy something, stand outside, fill out this <laughs> piece of paper, slip it inside the door, and we will assemble your basket and uh, do it that way. You can't come in. You will contaminate people. You are spreading something that that's affecting and, and of people's lives. They don't want to get sick. Well, we can put a new sign on stores. No, no shoes, no shirt, no vaccine injured. <laughs> you know, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Wouldn't that be interesting? Oh, 
Well, yeah, what? it's kind of like a vaccine segregation. Well, no, it's just like no no smoking sections. You know what? If you have you no know, smoking. Yeah. Okay. If you've made the choice to smoke, you know, then you can be segregated out. Well, if you've made the choice to uh, take the jab, even if you volunteered at work and, and you thought your job was on the line, even though I told people you're going to get your job back, you lose it for a while, but this isn't going to last. This is going to be turned around. And they're already talking about that now with the military. Wendy, did you have a report this morning? Just out of curiosity. I mean, <laughs> Biagi was, was, was fuming, and I, 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 he's absolutely right. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but, and, got, but to answer yeah. your question earlier, Mike does believe that um, Roosevelt, Roosevelt knew about um, things ahead of time. I'm not sure how far ahead of time, but, but he knew um, because okay. war is war. But anyway, uh, I, so I, I'm going to step out of that realm since it's not mine. But you going know, <laughs> <laughs> to so take off the combat helmet and stuff. put on the, the, the preacher's collar? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, even though I'm an ordained minister, I do not wear the collar. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, Why do you think I mentioned it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, here's the, well, you know, it's, it's better than the ascot, I guess. But, I, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. with, with, with our first intro, um, I, let me um, just say that, yeah, I spent time in prayer last night and just asking the Lord what's on his heart because, um, knowing about God is not enough. You, to, to know God, you have to spend time with him um, and talk to him and let him speak with you and um, through the word and in and, and your heart. And um, he was kind of somber last night. Hmm. And, you know, just, and just like he's got this, this yearning in his heart. He said, tell the people I love them. Um, and it's it's really it was, it was like weighing on his heart that people are just love is just thrown around so lightly anymore. It's, it's just not it doesn't even really mean what it used to mean. Um, and God wants people to know what real love is, and and He is love. Scripture says that you know God is love, and and everything He does is out of love, even when He is um, when it's time to release wrath. Um, you know, at the appointed time. This will hurt me it, more than it's going to hurt you kind of thing? Created these people. He right. never wants any of humanity to go to hell. He does not. Um, right. And that's why he gives them every opportunity time and time again to turn and to repent and to come into the family because the protection, the love, the blessings are in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what he just, it's really on his heart for people to know he loves them and it doesn't matter what they've done. A lot of people, um, you know, one of the things that Satan does is, is he will he, just heap guilt and shame on you and mm-hmm. condemnation. Yeah, well, like, like you think you can go to church? You know, I know what you did last weekend. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, just all kinds of stuff, you know, and so, and to separate you from God because he knows if he can keep you away from God, you will never reach, number one, the potential that God put in you because he created you for a purpose and, and an assignment and for a reason. And, and you, know, you have a destiny. And if you never come to God, you will never, ever reach your destiny. And, boy, that is one going to be some of the saddest days ever when people stand before the Lord and they realize what God had planned for them and what they could have accomplished and could have done and experienced, and they, they did not come anywhere near it. 
And that's going to be a very, very sad revelation. And that's not what God wants. He wants everyone to reach their destiny that he planned for them ahead of time. And it's good stuff. Yeah, trials along the way. You know, it builds your faith. It, it you know, builds your warring muscles, you know, uh, to fight through. But oh, I think I've done that. The end, <laughs> <laughs> the, the end is good. Oh. And so, you know, there's... There's just so much. I, I agree with it, Wendy. I Thank agree you. with that wholeheartedly. See, here's the thing: if you're going against the will of God, especially when it comes down when it says, "Thou shalt not lay with a man like a woman, and woman like a man," you should tell people that that's what you're doing. Because I have yet to see lightning strikes to become surgical. If there's a person standing <laughs> in the midst amongst the other people, when lightning strikes them. The innocent people get injured also. Lightning strikes are not surgical. So let people know or have some way to designate that so we can stay away from you. It's for my safety, the safety of my family, the safety of my kids. Well, you know, people don't usually go and announce um, the sin that they're in, you know, um, although it, once you have crossed into a reprobate mind, you are proud of your sin, and you you start advertising that and hmm. advocating for it. Doctor um, fascist, the world's greatest yes. psychopath. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, he he's up there with with several others. But, um, oh, okay. Oh, but, one of the world's but, greatest psychopaths. <laughs> we'll we'll include in all the other good company out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. That is a, a really big telltale sign because, you know, Scripture says that you will know the tree by the fruit it bears. So look at their actions. Don't listen to what they're saying. Look at their actions because that's the fruit that they are bearing. So you you cannot And that's the fruit I don't want to consume. <laughs> do what? That's the feel? fruit I don't want to consume. Get it out of yes. my basket. Yeah. I want right. to um, jump in here for a second because something came to mind. I'm not sure whether it's, uh, this is a writing or a saying or whatever, but you're talking about uh, earlier about, uh, you know, facing God with, with your, un, you know, un, or, or I guess uh, the potential that you never reached, unreached potential, I guess is what I call it. Um, and it, mm-hmm. it, wasn't there something like the, one of the saddest things are the words that never spoken, the, the acts that are not done? Or I, I'm, I'm trying to think something is like kind of fuzzing around my brain right now. That there is the same or, or a poem writing. Like that. Yeah. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I know the poem. I don't know all of it, and I don't know the title of it. But yeah, I, I remember reading that in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. So so do the things that you're you know that you're meant to do, and say the things you know because people aren't always here. They're not here. You know, there's not you're not on they're not on your timetable. So so don't waste the opportunity. Right. You know. So so act now. And what you're talking about earlier too. There it seems. Um, that there's a complete lack of commitment in people where they don't have the, the honor and the bond and the, the word doesn't mean anything and that they can, you know, that a commitment to God is, is there is no commitment anymore that anything can be sabotaged done. It's, it's more how you feel now. And so that's a big change. Well, for people that too. also comes from the seventies, you know, okay. um, where there are no absolutes. Remember that there are no absolutes. Um, mm-hmm. And that was perpetrated specifically to tear down the absolutes of scripture. You know, oh, well, if it feels good, do it, right? I mean, it, it, whatever is, is true for you, whatever your reality is. Your truth, your yeah, truth that, that, is, 
There's you know, no such thing as your um, truth. There yeah. is truth and there is, is non-truth, but there isn't, your truth isn't different. You know, you can have your beliefs that are true for you. You can have your actions that you believe in, and, and, you know, and, but you can't have your truth. Nobody has a monopoly on that. Right. That's right. There's God's hmm. truth and then there's everything else. So, I mean, and, and that's, and, and people don't like that. You know, uh, if you have a rebellious spirit mm-hmm. <laughs> in you, <laughs> what do you mean, yeah. um, which is not of God, you will have oh. a major problem with mm-hmm. absolutes. So, oh, you know, people yeah. don't like to hear Jesus is the only way to God. You know, they, they want to believe that there are all these other kinds of different paths and they all lead to God. No, I call major BS. That is not the truth. That's not God's truth. He said, if there was any other way, I would never have sacrificed my only son. Would you sacrifice your child for something that, you know, could have been done any other way? No, no, I wouldn't sacrifice my kid, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not that, I'm not that good. I would say, no, sorry, we, there, I would find the other way. Um, I right. don't believe in. But you know, you know uh, yeah. And you Jeffy. say that people do sacrifice their kids, especially when they send them to these public schools, and when they want to That's take their sure. kid out of the school, the excuse is, well, if you take your kid out of the school, then the overall grade of the classroom would go down. <laughs> Yeah, you have to act well, for other people. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, like the I, idea that if you, if you don't get people. vaccinated, you know, if you, I'm sorry, Wendy, go ahead. I, I said, you know, you can't live for what other people say. You know, you, you stand and fall on your own conviction and uh, on your own decisions and your own, you know, actions. So um, it, somebody else's child is not going to suffer because your child isn't there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's a false accusation, and you're trying to have me take false responsibility that does not belong to me. That's on you. How your child turns out is on you. You know, it's interesting. So, uh, you are correct. Yeah. Brianna, who was on Tuesday, brought this up, um, that she's hearing this all the time, that schools say that they can't celebrate Christmas because not everybody celebrates Christmas. Of course, my immediate response is, that's fine. Those that do celebrate Christmas you know, certainly have a right to. Just because somebody doesn't do anything, that'd be like saying, because somebody else doesn't have a gun, I can't buy one. You know, because somebody else doesn't travel on a cruise ship, I can't go on a cruise. That's the most insane thing ever. Because somebody believes something completely different than I believe, that their beliefs override mine. That their their feeling about right. my rights overrides my rights. No, and we were talking about this on Tuesday show. If you want to um, listen to it, but this is something that, that, that this is bizarre belief that you are responsible to other people before yourself, and it's simply not true. You have your yeah, rights, exactly you have your beliefs, right. you have your connection with God, and that's between you and God, and you and your beliefs, and and you and your rights. All of which can be done individually, and it's like the loss of the individual to the collective that that goes from the entire Marxist, you know. Um, on God, you know, whole belief system, the whole structure of society is now becoming the individual. There is no individual. There is only the collective. And that's the problem. You're exactly right. And God is an individual God, you know. Um, so mm-hmm. just keep that in mind and that, you know, I, I, I make my stand. I say I will not bow. The mm-hmm. only person I bow to is Jesus Christ, you know, and that's it. And I willfully do that. I, I willingly and and gladly do that. He is worthy of that. Absolutely. When you, you stand know, for so, judgment, it's your sin that's being judged, not the group's sin, not the club's sin, not the organization's sin. It's your sin. 
Is there a sin of inaction for what you didn't do that you should have? Is that everybody as much of a sin as what you do that you should not have done? Is there a flip side to sin? Yeah, it's called the sin of omission. Okay. Yeah, it's called the sin of omission. You you did not do what you were supposed to have done. Um, And there's a – people – there's going to be a lot of surprised people (laughs) when they stand before the Lord. Um, when, because there's a whole book, everybody has a book written on their life, every, mm-hmm. everyone, and including those who were aborted, every person, because to, to God, life begins at conception. Mm-hmm. And actually your, your, your spirit is in heaven before you're even born. So he knows you even before then. So, um, it, every person has a book written on their life and, when when you get to the end, it's like okay, open open the book for you know Joe Smith is standing before me. Get me Joe Smith's book, and then your life is reviewed against this book. This is what your life should have been. How close did you come to that? Hmm. So you know what did That's you do and what did you not do? Yes. So you know there is there there's a lot. There are a lot of books in heaven, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah. And that, so books. the question is. You know, uh, how, how, how does one on earth in this existence ask God for what our potential should be and, and how close we are to what we could be doing? I don't think people ask that question at all. Right. Conversation, prayer, ask God. He wants you to know. So he wants you to know. And that comes from relationship, not from religion. Religion will keep you from that. Religion hmm. says, perform this, act this way, look this way, do these things, don't do those things. That's religion. And it has n- never once said, draw near to God so that, you know, you guys can have wonderful, intimate conversations and, and learn things that you've never known. Jeremiah 33, 3, you know, call, call on me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. You know, there's, he wants you to know wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that comes to relationship, and which brings me to the point that what yes. Bianchi was saying about we all stand before the Lord. The Lord gave me a word uh, for today, mm-hmm. and you know, as you know, he doesn't always do that, but when he does, um, I'm going to give it, and that was one of the things that, that he's referencing because he, he wants people to know how much love is available to them how much love he has for them, all the good things he wants for them. Not saying that you're never going to go through anything hard. You know, you're here on this earth in a fallen world. You're going to have some hard times just like everybody else. You know, you know, giving your life to Jesus does not, you know, exempt you from anything bad happening. <clears throat> but if you get through it um, with a whole different mindset and a whole lot quicker, and there's a lot of things that don't come to you because you do have a relationship with him. So just, just throwing that out there, but in the word that it will, I'll be giving in just a couple minutes, God addresses that. Okay. We, we, we are um, anxiously awaiting. Are you expecting a phone call or something? <laughs> oh, well, okay. If you want to hear it now, that's fine. <laughs> well, I, you know, um, I just, hang on. Let, I just let, didn't know if there was that. any other conversation that, that no, no, we, we're, we're just, we're just uh, hang on every word at this point. Oh, okay. Well, um, then I will uh, give you the word from the Lord that he gave me um, for all of our listeners today and who will be uh, listening in later on the archives. Do not fill your minds with the world's junk. 
the distractions, the man-made disasters, the manipulation of weather patterns, global warming, election results, and the like. Am I saying to ignore these things? Not at all. I'm saying don't fill your minds with these things. Don't focus on them. That is the whole point of the enemy's camp, to keep you looking at what doesn't matter so that you won't see um, so you won't see um, and you won't fight against the things that do matter. What have I written to you? Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things on, on the earth. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think on my goodness. Meditate and mull over in your minds and hearts how forgiving, how long-suffering, and how merciful I am toward those who approach me in faith. Think also on my judgment, my wrath, and my justice, which are sure, righteous, and without malice. I judge in holiness. No man can stand before me blameless. No one, not a single one. Approach me through the blood of my son and you will live. You will never know my wrath if you are covered by his blood. He paid the debt you owed for your sins. Those who mock or make light of his sacrifice, those who reject and trample upon the blood Jesus shed in their place on the cross, they are the ones who will suffer my wrath. But I tell you again, you do not have to be numbered in their company. You do not have to face my wrath. It's a choice I leave completely up to you. You will stand before me alone, holding your choice in your hands. Your choice will exonerate you or condemn you. You choose, for it is written in the book of Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. Amen. Um I was just going to say, yeah, amen. It makes perfect sense. Um, I was thinking about something we had a conversation with. That's what's with, on uh, God's heart. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, and I've, I've, we've got a, we've got an interesting issue that came up yesterday. There's something, this is kind of along the same lines, the, the sovereign state citizen. Um, and this, this idea that, that uh, people are being, it's like the, the worst distraction I've ever heard, that people are believing they're not state citizens, they're not citizens of the United States, or they're, they're, they can exempt themselves from the U.S. government, that were owned by the U.N., that, uh, you know, that the lawyers are all registered in London, and also the nonsense. Um, it was, it, to, to me, it seems like the perfect government plot. They're owned by the U.N.? <laughs> Oh yeah, no. That the, 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 the their birth certificate, because it has capital letters, means that they're owned by the UN. I don't know how it all works. I'm going to get some some of the so-called state sovereignty experts. But even within you know the patriotic, you know, conservative, um, independent uh, community out there, there are distractions that are so bad, and people are being co-opted with this because it sounds good. It's every bit as bad as you know. It's like climate change to a leftist. 
I'm going to be independent of the federal government. I won't be owned anymore. I'm not part of the U.S. because it's a corporation. And, of course, I ask, you know, well, where's the board of directors if it's a corporation? Which government chartered this corporation? How does a government charter a country? <laughs> you know, and, of course, these questions can't be answered <laughs> by people believe this stuff, right? But, you know, but people – and these things are – but what, my point is that this is far more insidious than people think. That, you know, people who are on, the, on the, the conservatives and patriots will and independents will laugh at climate change because it makes no sense scientifically. It's bizarre to think that, you know, less than one percent of the atmosphere is going to reflect so much heat down upon us that the polar ice caps will melt. That's just absurd. All right. But they're perfectly willing to believe that the U.N. owns them, that all our lawyers are registered in London, that the U.S. is a corporation and that they can be freed from this if they pay, you know, nine ninety, you know, nineteen ninety five, which is nineteen ninety five. You can get your freedom from the Iran called, you know, American Freedom Place. We are the state sovereigns. You know, and so it's very insidious, but I think it comes from the very center of what people want to believe. There's a, and I don't know how God addresses this, but the, the desire to, to, you have to, you still have to find truth, even if you want to believe it. You know, that's one of the greatest dangers is that, that Satan will come to you with things that you want to believe. And he knows that. Yeah. And, 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 and just as the state sovereign is, is just as dangerous as climate change, the leftists want to believe in climate change. And, and the America Firsters want to believe that they can be independent of all government corruption if they simply sign on the dotted line and become, you know, we've, we're, we have one of our folks even talking about renouncing U.S. citizenship. Well, I'm not mentioning the name it, to protect it, them for today, but, you know, it's, it, this is how bad this is getting. Yeah. That Satan comes well, to you in, in all kinds of ways that you wouldn't expect. Everything is optional. Uh-huh. You know, um, and it, that's what um, most people want to, to believe because if everything is optional, there are no absolutes. It goes back to the absolutes that you can have the buffet instead of ordering a specific item on the menu um, and that they want to create their own menu basically. And whatever it is that they want, they think that they should have with absolutely no consequences, um, you know, good or bad. So it's, it's not, it, it's you are right. It is insidious and it is deceptive and it is part of that mass brainwashing thing um, that if you repeat it enough, people just think it's true. Um, and it's being enforced in colleges. It's being enforced all around the world. So this does not surprise me whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, uh, I don't know. It, I think the desire to want to believe something is so strong in people that it's like a human frailty. I don't know how you have the strength that to, you know, how do you tell people something that, that, you know, we've said this before on the show all the time. Um, uh, what is it? Assumptions are stronger than truth. People assume all kinds of things that they have no basis to believe, but yet they do. And I don't, I don't, I'm, do. you know, I don't know how, <laughs> what's that? So yet they do. You're right. Yet they do. And I don't know how to get past that. So this is, this is definitely, I have a chat with God and see if, if I can get some, you know, uh, how can I be more persuasive into showing folks, you know, other than logic and reason, but these are emotional arguments. It's hard to defeat an emotional argument. We're talking about this with Brianna and with Josie and some other folks. It's hard to defeat an emotional argument uh, with logic because logic can't get through the emotion because the emotion blocks the logic. So you almost have to make up another a counter emotional argument in order to do it. Well, scripture says that good wins over evil because but truth sets you free. So it's it's a matter of getting the truth out in a way that the Holy Spirit leads you to do it. Um, because it may not look like somebody else's assignment. We all have the assignment of 
of telling the truth in love, right? Um, that's everybody's assignment because you're living and breathing on this earth, but um, and especially if you belong to the Lord. Um, if you don't, you're, you're going to be listening to your father, the devil. So, I mean, that's just all there is to it. But you have to be seeking the Lord about how he wants it said and done to present mm-hmm. the truth because it reaches people in different ways because not everybody's the same, right? So it, that's, that goes back to the individual God, and God cares enough about you. He loves you enough to, to have somebody do something, even if it's uh, one lady said the Lord told her one day in a food court in a, in a packed mall, stand up on the table and just start pointing around the room. And and she said, what? <laughs> I, I, I got I, things like that to no. do, too. Yeah. I want to hold this just for a second. not God. You, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. We've got to, I don't know if you two have was, talked. I've got um, I've got Dr. Deborah Viglione on the line, and one of my heroes, oh, okay. uh, who is just the just did uh, just the most amazing things with the, the rallies in Pensacola and her own practice and everything else. I don't know if you two have talked, but uh, Wendy, I want to introduce you to Deborah and Deborah to Wendy. Wendy, Wendy does our Oh My God report, and so if you get a chance to listen to our previous half hour, uh, it gets kind of busy. Did you have a question for Wendy? Did you have a question for Deborah at all regarding COVID, COVID nineteen, anything vaccination related? Because we're going to kind of move into that now. Uh, I don't have a question at the moment because the question I wanted to ask is, is really a law, a law question, but I thank you, uh, Deborah, for all the work that you are doing um, and getting the truth out there because I, that's important. Truth will set people free. That's exactly there we right. go. All right. So we got you just a little bit quiet. I know you're, I know you're calling in on, on a cell phone here. Yeah, but, you uh, might so hear some road noise. There's traffic. Yeah. So. Well, yesterday we had uh, Mario Prado, who's uh, the producer of a film called The Falcon, uh, that Action Radio is becoming involved with because we're the only citizen legislature attached to a radio show in the world. So we have unique things that we can offer from our experience doing this. But I want to welcome you back. Let me see if I can get to where's my crowd here pulled up here real fast. So let's let's get you a, a big round of applause here. And ah, here we go. So. I wanted to follow up with uh, with uh, Dr. Deborah Viglione uh, from last week. We had her on, and but there's so much more to the story. There, there's this marvelous book uh, that you have written. Let me get the full title out here. I want to go back a little bit though and recap just a couple things. But the book for everybody, I've got it on my Facebook page. You can get it on Amazon. It's COVID-19 Vaccines and Beyond: What the Medical Industrial Complex Is Not Telling Us. And you also have another person here, Sally Saxon. Let's let's start there. Then we'll kind of cap COVID a little bit. Who is, is Sally Saxon's a lawyer, and, and how does she fit into your book? Or did she write the book? Yes, yeah, she's a lawyer. I, okay. She's a retired lawyer. Um, I didn't know her or know of her. I guess she's uh-huh. written some other books. But it was the her pastor, who's um, Jane Hammond at uh, Vision Church out in Santa Rosa Beach, that put me in touch with her. And uh-huh. she said, hey, Sally's working on something, and she needs to help us some physicians can I put you two together? And I said, sure. And, um, you know, so I talked to Sally, and she said, well, she was working on this booklet that her idea was she was going to, this is so cute, she was going to go to, I guess, hospitals and clinics mm-hmm. and hand it out to doctors to try to wake them up. <laughs> that is cute. <laughs> you know, she, she doesn't know about like, Dr. Fascist and the so CDC much. and the, the medical holocaust yeah, the industrial complex. Yeah. Know, was like uh, that's the only thing she could think of, and so I said, "Well, send me your stuff, and I'll look at it." 
Well, I looked at it in its current format. I mean, there was so much good stuff in there, but it just, mm-hmm. the way she was envisioning it to work it was not going to work. It had to be overhauled, really, to to do what she wanted to do. And mm-hmm. so I, I took it to uh, Dr. Thorpe, with her permission, because Dr. Thorpe's a stat guy. I don't do stats. Um, right. And so I took it to him that night and said, look at this. And he looked at it, and he's like, wow. And I said, can are you willing to help her with me? And he goes, yeah, we've got to do something with this. It was pretty amazing. Because she had basically, for, you know, years, her dad is a retired surgeon, and so she was already seeing things, you know, that weren't right. And her dad was obviously a thinker and thought outside the box. And so she'd been watching this throughout her life, and Mm -hmm. she'd started to just, um, as things came out, she would document it and reference it and write about when it. When did she start? So it, when when did she start doing she this? Really, really early? About a year, well, about a year ago for this, but she's working okay. on another book that's going to go through the whole uh, globalist issue and you know go way back when this started because she was actually researching that prior to deciding she had to do something about the vaccines. So it's going to be so, interesting with her next because she's going to go way way back to when this started. Well, you know I want her on the show now, because <laughs> I'm not familiar oh, yeah, with her. Course, yeah. uh, so we'll get her. You know me, yeah. Well, because she's a lawyer. So, of course, my first question is, can she help with our vaccine product liability bill and our big tech censorship bill to get those more public? You know, so that's all. That's, that's, yeah, that's, probably. That's, Even though she's yeah. retired, you know, she, she'll do what she can, sure. She's oh, I love retired network. folks. Retired folks uh-huh. have time. Yeah, so they're really good. Yeah. Um, Jim Thorpe, just so folks know, was on our, our, our World's Greatest Doctors panel uh, for most of our 18 uh, weeks, which was fabulous. He's in Washington right now, and he's, at, uh, he's met with Senator uh, Ron Johnson, who's holding a hearing um, at 11 o'clock Central Time, noon Eastern. And I've already applied for my, my, my visit to that and sent them my two bills you know, on vaccine product liability and on big tech censorship. And I'm hoping you know, this would be the perfect forum to introduce them. So I'm kind of hoping and praying that somehow they come out in the panel. Uh, I'm not getting my hopes up too much, but I mean, this would be the ideal situation to bring up something like that. Anyway, right. back to you, <laughs> back to you. And let's, let's go. Uh, let's, um, I want to get sort of trace the story from, from, from COVID with you in the trenches um, to the book. And, and, and we've, we talked about the, how we've got the rallies and things going, but just the idea that you were treating people before you knew what COVID was. And there was a freedom at that time to treat people as you saw fit. You could actually be a doctor. And then somehow that changed that everybody came under the CDC, which is not a regulatory agency, which has no official powers. They come under the commerce clause of all things. Uh, and, and everybody seemed to knuckle under to them. So take all the time you want, but can you tell that story of, of, of when you first started discovering this and how you were able to treat it as you saw fit, and then gradually that power was taken away from all the doctors? Yeah, well, I got COVID in January because somebody, one of my patients had traveled in China. So when I came down with it, I didn't know it was in the country. You know, I'd heard things about this China virus, but really didn't give it a second thought that that's what David and I had. David's my nurse, although it lasted, you know, awfully long and didn't, you know, didn't go away. Like normally I can knock things out, take a few more of my supplements and it's gone. But we plowed through it and found that some of the thing that I think is so cute is that we figured out budesonide was the best steroid to use with this because mm-hmm. we had our cabinet full of inhalers and both of us said, oh, this one works much better, you know, because you had to do something that help your lungs. Well, then we started, um, some patients started coming down with it, and then 
you know, they started saying, well, it's in our country. And I had been able to do vitamin C IV for years. And, you know, it has its roots in treating viral illnesses. Mm-hmm. And I pulled out my book and, you know, looked at the viruses that it's historically treated. And I said, well, you know, it should work for this. And so I picked a dose. You have to go high dose. And vitamin mm-hmm. C has two modes of action. Um, one is being an antioxidant, which we're all familiar with, and we're taking it to keep our immunity up. But right. in that form, it doesn't kill viruses. It helps your oh. immune system. So you have to go much higher, and you have to give it intravenously. You can't take enough orally to get the kill effect. So you have to turn it into what they call an oxidant, where it actually kills. And so we picked to use 25 grams. When you go to, a, say, an IV bar, you're getting an antioxidant dose. You're not getting an oxidant dose. So we picked that, and we're having you know, really good success in March. And I think it was about April, I get a call from Dr. Thorpe. And then at this time, there was still no testing. We were just going by symptoms. You know, people mm-hmm. were coming down with this stuff and using budesonide because we figured out that worked. And about that time, I guess, Dr. Raul and uh, Zelenko started talking about zinc and this That's when I came in the picture, yeah, and I started realizing yeah. that, well, I knew viruses and, were, uh, you know, should be killed rather than vaccine because it was already here. That was my first inclination. This was back February of 2020. Yeah, That's and here. then we yeah. started hydroxychloroquine, but the interesting mm-hmm. thing is I wasn't real big on hydroxychloroquine because a couple of the earlier presenters who have mm-hmm. COVID were already on. So I was, oh. you know, I thought, they're well. For so other... I, you know, yeah, they were well, had... for arthritis. Okay. You know, and so we're saying it was useful as a preventative, and, you know, and I did use it, but then when Dr. Thorpe called me, and I knew of Dr. Thorpe, I had met him before, but, you know, we weren't friends or anything, and he called up and he, it was actually my ex-husband, told him <laughs> that I had the ability to do ozone. They, they, yeah, they were friends. Exes have the use yeah. occasionally. Yeah. He told him yeah. that Dr. Thorpe was looking for someone who did ozone. And so he called me up and he said, hey, I heard you do ozone. And I said, yeah, I said, but I haven't really done it in a number of years because it was mostly AIDS people, um, people with um, hepatitis C, because hmm. they needed something to keep the viral load down. And since they have medications for those now, you know, it was pretty much sitting there collecting dust. Sometimes people would come in with Epstein-Barr virus and do it, but I really didn't do much. And so he goes, well, let's get it out of the closet and let's try again. So we did a study (laughs) looking to see if it would increase oxygenation because one of the things we were thinking about, all these people were on ventilators, right? And the lungs weren't, you know, you couldn't get the oxygen through the lungs because there was so much inflammation. So he said, well, if we could bypass the lungs and give it IV, because ozone is super oxygen, basically. And it's so free, right? That it's like three atoms of, of oxygen. It's yeah, like O2 yeah, is regular yeah. oxygen we breathe. O3 is like they take an extra oxygen atom onto it, and that's what makes ozone. So it's basically oxygen. Yeah. So, yeah. so right. ozone kills viruses, too. So, you're, you know, we were wanting to get the oxygenation effect, but also uh-huh. the antiviral effect. So huh. we did a study where um, we did the oxygen level, and then put him in a hypoxic chamber and, and, t- and watched his O2 sat go down. Then the next time we did it, we gave him ozone first. That's called ozone preconditioning. And 
and then put him in the hypoxic chamber, and his oxygen didn't go that low. It, you know, it stayed up, and he felt fine. So we said, wow, this would be really great to do, you know, for COVID patients. So we started doing the vitamin C followed by the ozonated saline. That's not the traditional way to give ozone. Um, that's the way the Russians have done it. But mostly worldwide, they do something called major autohemotherapy, where you take your own blood and you bleed it out into a bag that has an anticoagulant in it, then put the ozone into the blood and agitate that it a little bit. That seems kind of roundabout. That seems like, like the well, long way. Well, that's it. You know, yeah, that's a very cumbersome way to do it, and there's more risk yeah. involved in that because you have the risk of the anticoagulant, you have the risk of blood clots. Very effective, but, you know, ozone saline is really fast. It takes us 8 to 20 minutes to do a bag depending on... Um, to, you know, get it ready, depending on how much fluid we put in the bag. So we started doing the ozone, the vitamin C, and it was miraculous. I mean, people huh. would come in looking like death warmed over, high fevers. We'd give them that, and the fever would start breaking usually while they were there. If not, it happened in the next, you know, 12 hours mm. typically. They called us the next day, and they were like, this is crazy. You know, it's gone. And that was predominantly, you know, people that came in right away. Because remember, people were mm-hmm. scared to death they were going to die. You know, so they called. And a lot of these early on were young people that had been on youth trips before they shut everything down. Mm-hmm. And they went on these youth trips. And so the whole bunches of them got it. And they came in and they knocked it out. But it was really funny because, you know, they were 18 to 20-year-olds. And they'd never really been sick. <laughs> it was so funny oh, to watch them. Oh, yeah. See, you I know, had them when I was a kid. I had, you know, bronchitis and flu and all. I had everything. Mumps. Right. So <laughs> you know, word so. started to spread, and then we started getting sicker patients in. And so when right. you looked at our average, like, I'm going to send the paper today. We're going to publish it in the Medical Gazette, what we did. But uh-huh. um, the people... Then we started getting people that were in the cytokine storm seven to ten days in, and they had pneumonia and everything else and lower oxygen, but we still found it effective. You know, we were, you know, they didn't get better as fast. We'd have to sometimes give them a second infusion the next day, mm-hmm. sometimes a third. But, you know, I, I heard pneumonia where you hear the pneumonia. COVID sounds a little bit different in the lungs, but yeah, you hear it, you give them the treatment, and the next. And if I heard anything like that, I always said, you got to come back tomorrow. And they would come back, and sometimes it was gone. It was like overnight. It just left. It was the craziest thing. Never seen that the, in my whole career. And the media came to but you and said, you've got a wonder cure. And, and, and the CDC said, we're going to publish this everywhere. We're going to get it in the medical journals. And, and, and everybody came down and said, this is fabulous. Let's try this out ourselves. And COVID was gone in, in six weeks, right? Yeah, Isn't that what so. happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Well, so we did, we did all this, and then... Then uh, when Pierre Corey did, and I had heard about ivermectin probably maybe summer of 2020. Okay. But we we weren't even doing um, the uh, hydroxychloroquine much at that point. We were just doing hmm. our treatment. And the quercetin, because quercetin works like hydroxychloroquine. It doesn't cause a nausea. And I was finding that people were doing better. We had our own little protocol of supplements. So we were just bumping along, doing great. Word was spreading. Mm-hmm. We were having more and more people. But then when I heard the testimony that Pierre Corey gave for the Senate with ivermectin, I said, well, let's give it a whirl, and gave it to somebody, and it seemed to knock it out even faster. 
So then that became part of our protocol. Well, that's when we started to hear from the insurance companies and the boards, you know, you can't give this stuff, and the pharmacies were shutting it down. I'm like, what the heck? You know, we did have trouble with hydroxychloroquine early on. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had to get a compounding pharmacy to do it. Occasionally you could get a regular pharmacist to do it, but then they would say, hey, they told us we're not allowed. And I was like, what is this? You know, I couldn't yeah, believe it. Yeah, some were doing it, it anyway, like, and, and more power to them. So, yeah, they're good, they're good people out right. there despite the, the government, you yeah. know. But insurance companies? Yeah, and, yeah, and when did they money. when did they start practicing medicine? I'm just curious. Right. Yeah. They, they, well, they are doing it. When you think about it, when they restrict okay. your use of pharmaceuticals, even when mm-hmm. they tell you that you can't have the drug that you want for your patient, that it's not on their formula, or you have to have a prior authorization. I'm like, get out of the way. But you know, <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah, yeah, so it's no, it's, it's, uh, well, it's just the idea of giving oxygen for a respiratory problem or a respiratory infection. It's like they went out of their way. You know, I mean, we heard about remdesivir, which is a failed Ebola drug, which destroys your kidneys, causes your lungs to fill with fluid, and then you get on a ventilator. This is like the, I mean, why just kill people, just give them cyanide? I mean, you know, this is so bizarre uh-huh. to me that you go directly, as a doctor, you go directly to the problem. The problem is a lung infection, okay, caused by a virus. Well, let's kill the virus and clear up the lung infection. That's, and I'm not a doctor, but, see, but, I, but, I, but I, can, I can use logic and reason. That seems to me the most direct way to deal with the problem, which is what you were doing. And yet, well, then came the problem. I, you know, I didn't understand. You know, none of uh-huh. us did. Why, why right. are they censoring this? Why are they doing this? Um, you know, because I didn't really know about the globalist issue until somebody tuned me into the fall of the cabal, and mm-hmm. I started listening to that. And that would have been summer 2020, and I'm like, okay. oh. They, you know, they have an agenda to kill people. But that, mm-hmm. Then it started to kind of... Um, well, let's, let's go through that transition. Yeah. So here you are trying to practice medicine. You're trying to practice medicine, and then you find out that uh, this, is, this is not just a virus. This is an entire agenda. Right. Well, I, I was suspect, suspect of it because I went to the University of North Carolina, and um, in the spring of 2020, I heard on a radio show twice they said something about Ralph Barrick, in the University of North Carolina and Fauci. Mm-hmm. So I said, man, i got to look this up. So I looked it up and was fortunate to come across the paper immediately. It was my first hit of where they'd manufactured the virus. And, you know, they tested it in mice, and they were working with the Wuhan lab, and NIH was paying for it. And that's when I said, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Gain-of-function research, really? And so then I knew that they... I didn't know at the time whether it was accidental or deliberate, but that, you know, they had released this virus. So then I knew it was biological warfare. So then, you know, it wasn't right. really surprising when I found out that there was this whole globalist um, World Economic Forum. And, you know, so then it started just all kind of fall in line. And then I was just more determined to, to go after them and not do it. You know, so I'm going to treat patients. So when it when uh, the Delta and Lambda came and uh, – mm-hmm. August and September, I guess, of 2021, oh, my gosh, it was crazy because by then all the people that had it in 2020 had told everybody else about us. We had to put a sign on our door that we're not a walk-in clinic. You know, people would sit in our parking lot and call us, and it, it was crazy. We saw as many people in 2020 in the two months with the Lambda and Delta, which was much more severe. But the thing that I wish that we had known better and we could have done differently is found a way to get oxygen ahead of time because that was the only reason we sent people to the hospital with oxygen. 
and mm-hmm. we couldn't get it. That was another thing. They, they kept you from getting it. The, the Medicare people, they would stall for 72 hours to get them, and we couldn't get so them. So that's to make sure that the COVID got worse. Yeah, that's to make sure it got worse. Yeah, so they, it this is my theory. I could write that, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I mean, I used to be able to write a prescription for oxygen, and somebody mm-hmm. could go just buy it, pay cash. Mm-hmm. But, oh, no, they weren't, they weren't letting you have it. And then now I know that we could, um, you could actually sustain lower levels of oxygen, and so we, we might have been able to keep a few more out. But uh, during the Lambda and, and uh, Delta, there were a lot of blood clots there, and that would send people to the hospital. So, I don't know. We tried to manage as many as we could as an outpatient. Mm-hmm. But it was funny because... They would. A lot of them went to the hospital first, and we found out that wow. there was a nurse over nurse or nurses, particularly at Baptist, that was whispering to people, "You need to leave here and go to Dr. Bigley's clinic." <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But don't give, don't give away names. We want to, we want to protect the helpers. But yeah, yeah. and uh, that's yeah. fascinating. Well, in fact, I had uh, a medical thing I had to check if I had to do, and they had the vaccine status. I'm not gonna say where. Uh, but the vaccine status, he said, report your vaccine status. I said, I don't want to. The nurse said, I don't care. I'm not going to report it either. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. So the nurses, the, the internal people, the, the doctors, there are folks that you can talk to. It's almost like, a, a, it's like, a, it's like a, a separate medical practice within the medical practice, that there are the good people uh-huh. and you have to find them. It's all word of mouth. It's like I'm sure there are people that were giving saline solutions that, instead of jabs so people can keep the jobs. There's an entire underground. Did you hear about the lady in Germany? Yes, the, I did. The lady in Germany? Oh, man. I, put, I post what an article on that. Yeah. Oh, so those are the heroes now. That. Yeah. yeah. 8,000 people got uh, saline jabs. Uh, now, what is it? Can you explain what saline? That's salt, that's salt water, basically. So that you can inject it's that. salt water. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, your blood is mostly salt and water, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's just fine. Yeah. It just gets absorbed. That, that okay. was phenomenal that she did that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually got lucky. I met, uh, I had a friend that, that knew Dr. Zelenko. So we actually wrote our bill to reform the FDA in August, and he was on my show then. But I've been communicating before that. And we had my, my most popular Facebook group of all time was the Action Radio Dr. Zelenko uh, Coronavirus Clearinghouse, which Facebook disband- disabled. They, they just took us off. As soon as we started talking about ivermectin, it was like, that was it. You know, and they, they just violated us so many times, and we were gone. But that was really popular, and, and people could talk directly to Dr. Solenko and ask him questions, and he'd respond on Facebook. And we had this really great exchange going. So we were, I, mean, I was doing everything I could you know, to promote this, and I knew about hydroxychloroquine. I wrote a bill in February that the government, that the Congress could not spend more than half their money on vaccines. The other half had to go for early treatments because it never made sense to me that because I know vaccines take 10 years to develop. So, so if it takes 10 years, why would you start now to do something that, that, need, that we're going to need in 10 years for a virus that's already here? Why not just kill a virus? So it didn't take me long to find out that viruses could be killed, that there were viruses that killed viruses, that there were drugs that killed viruses. You could combine the two of them. And I knew this in like two hours. You know, and that's why I broadcast yeah. on March 2nd that COVID, you know, we, there is no pandemic. This is curable. We, or, or you, I guess you guys don't say that. It's treatable, right? So, uh, but I can treatable. say it because I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a radio host. I can say curable. But this is what was going on. So we all knew. And then, of course, my censorship started immediately. So, so my story is kind of like your story, uh, except you're doing some medical, and I'm doing it from, from the information talk end uh, and, and the legislative end. I do have a um, – before I get to the book, I've got a question I've always wondered about. And I actually did some shows on this speculating that the, quote, vaccine, the Moderna um, messenger RNA gene-altering shot was developed long before. 
the, uh, oh, yeah. the COVID-19 virus. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? I don't think we've talked about it. Um, I'd have to look in the book exactly, but I think it was in the works for eight or ten years. Prior okay, to, so it does take um, ten years to make a, to make yeah. a vaccine, yeah, it's, even though it's, it's not a vaccine. They, in fact, Moderna had never come out with a successful product yet. This was really? quote, their first. Yeah. Well, and the problem is it's that messenger RNA technology. It's dangerous. And they had tried um, this technology out with Pfizer and Moderna. They tried it, you know, just splice genes into people that are deficient in a gene. And it's usually children that are born deficient in a gene that's ultimately fatal. So mm-hmm. they were, it was a good intent was to be have a, a vehicle to drive it in, be able to put the gene in their genome that they were missing so they could mm-hmm. then create the protein that they needed. The problem is they all died. You know, it just it didn't work. Yeah, that's a problem. It was kind of, <laughs> that's a huge problem. Yeah. yeah. So in all the vaccines that they had tried to make prior, you know, for coronaviruses also backfired. They caused what we call antibody-dependent enhancement. They actually had a worse problem when they were exposed to the disease. There's something peculiar about the coronaviruses that, that attempts to make traditional vaccines were just horrible. And that paper from North Carolina, they tried to make a vaccine and weren't able. You know, the mice died. So that was my first thing, having read that paper. When they started talking about a vaccine, I said, these are dangerous. You know, historically, they've killed everybody. You know, why would I take it? And so then they were touting, oh, but this is new technology. This is different. I'm like, this is gene therapy. You know, and you failed and other stuff. And I said, you're not going to stick gene therapy in my body. Well, and the other nice thing is they, um, natural immunity was great, but they suppressed that too. They said there was no natural immunity. Well, Dave and well, I, true. having known, we, somebody brought us a virus from China. Mm-hmm. We decided as we started treating COVID patients at first, now I had this whole area cordoned off. We had a decontamination area. We went in there with all of the, you know, PPE on. And David's like, screw this. We had COVID. So he takes it all off, starts seeing patients, no mask. Certainly we used gloves and we started the IV. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get sick. So I'm like, screw this. Knocked all the stuff down, quit doing the PPE. <laughs> and, uh, and we went back there. And, and it was so refreshing for patients because they came in scared to death they were going to kill us all. We're like, take off your mask. You need oxygen. You need to breathe. Take off your mask, and they're like, oh, but we're going to expose you. No, 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 we're fine. Yeah, we're okay. You know, and, and yeah. we're fine. Our, yeah, our, <laughs> yeah. You know, our natural immunity held. It was great. I did get a second mild case of COVID when I traveled out of the area, and mm-hmm. um, that was in October 2020. And mm-hmm. I would not have known I had it because there were no respiratory symptoms at all when I had it. It was just achiness. But my whole family came down with it. So I knew my body was fighting that virus again. But that was my first clue of the mutations because I said, wait a minute, I'm around COVID every day here. And then I go somewhere else and I get, you know, I can tell my body's fighting it. And it, and it lasted 10 days. I was very achy and tired. And I'm like, wow, so this thing's mutating really fast, you know, it just Boom, boom. But now so your immune system has to catch up with the uh, mutations, right? Then that, that's, the, right. that's what happens the next time you get sick. Okay. It seems like most people um, that I've seen that did not take the shot two times is it. They don't continue to get it. They're, you know, that took care of it. Because when you have natural immunity, you develop to different parts of the virus, not just the spike protein. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we seem to be okay. 
That's what we talked but about. An AVE that uh, that that automatic dependent uh, whatever that was called. That's what actually creates uh-huh. the variations in people, right? The 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 uh, the different forms no, uh, of it. A reaction to the vaccine, you actually your immune system kind of goes into hyperdrive, so okay. it's too strong, and you create all that what they call oxidative stress and free radical damage, and you. You know, you actually make the virus, your reaction to the virus worse. Because you want your immune system to attack it, but the problem with COVID and the cytokine storm is it over-attacked it, and the vaccine made that worse. So, so what's the cytokine storm? I think, I think we got another um, call. we got Pianchi on the line, too. But let's, let's get a question. What is, oh, sorry. Pianchi, I'll let you get, ask a question in a second. What's the cytokine uh, storm? Because we hear about that all the time. All these immune factors that your body releases, interferon would be one, um, uh, interleukin-6, that, you know, these are ones that you may have heard of that the body goes out to fight infections. Well, with the coronavirus, it sent way too much out, and so it caused okay. much more inflammation. Yeah, so you want to balance in your okay. response. Yeah, but when the vaccine, you know, went in there, it made you attack it worse, which we're seeing now because the death rate is, is much higher now in the vaccinated than yeah, it was in the other. Yeah, which seems counterintuitive to be safe and effective. Uh, Pianchi, you had a question for, for Dr. Big Leon? Yeah, that's why I come. I think that people that's been vaccinated need to wear a mask and stay six feet away from those who have never been vaccinated because this is dangerous. Well, and they yeah, should well, uh, sit outside at the restaurants. But see, the <laughs> that, mask, I know that's yeah. funny. It's like reverse discrimination, but the mask are not effective, not the surgical masks with COVID because the virus is too small. It goes right through them. But the N95s are somewhat effective, but they're also very harmful to wear long-term because of what it does to your pH and your, your brain because you're breathing so much carbon dioxide. And it's a Petri dish, so you're more likely to get other viruses and things. But, yeah, we, we underwent a lot of discrimination, and kudos to people who held out because I, I guess – talk about in the book this is like Hitler when they put the bands and the star on the um or it was a star i guess that they did for the jewish, jewish to identify jews had a yellow star the yellow star of david yeah that's yeah, they identified. yeah, that, yeah. They, that they were a menace i mean they, they did the same thing to the unvaccinated you're the reason we have covid you're the reason grandma's dying you're the reason you know the covid's still around you're the if plague you the COVID, yeah <laughs> the plague of the, the COVID, unvaccinated you know, yeah. Well, oh, and yeah. people in Australia were like put off in camps. It, I mean, it was just yeah. like Hitler. Yeah. So kudos yeah. to the people who held out, knew better. Well, I want to talk about that in a little bit. What you guys actually did to combat well, it. Well, those who didn't, yeah. you know, I uh-huh. understand. The, the fear was crazy because I had the fear too when I saw these fake news clips, really, of people just dropping dead all over China in these mass graves. It was scary. And when I found out that I got the phone call, and it was probably end of February, I got the phone Mm -hmm. call from the person who'd given us, and she said, hey, I didn't tell you where I was traveling when I came to see you on January 21st with this funky respiratory thing. And she'd been all over China. The sense of relief that went through me, oh, my God, this isn't fatal. You know, they have blown this way out of proportion. I said, yes, it's a nuisance, and, it, you know, in our case, I mean, it took a long time to get away because neither one of us did an IV on ourselves. We didn't think about that. 
But the second time I had it, you bet I did the IV. So I was like, get it out of here. Yeah. Yeah, Pianki had a question. I, I, wanted to be, I like Deborah's long explanations because I want to get this uh, into a podcast that people can really listen to. But you had another question, sir? Pianchi? No, I don't have any other questions, but uh, I'm glad I didn't take it. And uh, I, I still see people walking around with masks today. But like I said before, the CDC is producing data that's showing that the majority of people that's dying are those who was vaccinated. Then they try to come up with some excuse and say, well, the reason why come they having problems because they wouldn't get their boosters on time. Well, the they vaccination initially is what they yeah. yeah. It's not what, what, what's proposed to prevent you. So I want to stay that? away from me. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. They say if, you, if people are dying because they didn't get vaccinated enough. In other words, we know what's causing the problems, and yet, you know, the, the, it's like saying, well, you, you know, the, the, you didn't take enough cyanide to, to cure your problem. You only took a little bit, so it killed you. But if you had more cyanide, you would have been fine. <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah. Deborah. Well, but people, I, I saw somebody yesterday, she'd had five, and she said, so you think the vaccine's bad? I said, yes, I do. And she goes, that's the first I've heard of that. She Where lives she in uh, Diamond Head. I, you know, Diamond Head. Oh, I, I, I don't know. No, no, the, um, maybe I'm not saying Diamond, Diamond Head. What, no, what's the one over there in, in Mobile? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't get out much. I do radio too much. But I know what you well, mean, but, a, yeah. but there are people that don't know. They've never heard this. Yeah, she's never heard. And I told her about the book. She goes, well, is it going to scare me? I said, well, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> knowledge is power, and, and the truth will set you free. I mean, at least it will keep her from hopefully damaging her body worse, and maybe then she'll start taking some actions to try to, you know, help her immune system. Do you have a section yeah, so, on, in the uh, book, Vaccine Recovery? Do you, do you talk about the things that people can do to get over it? Just a little bit. And we okay. refer people to like the FLCCC site. But the problem is a lot of people out there, in fact, I had her, she had a video in here, and I said, you got to take it out because it's false information. People oh. are advertising their supplements or their protocols that they detox you from the spike protein. That, If you hear that, that is not true because we have okay. no way to measure. You know, so... They're thinking that because these things have traditionally worked, you know, to help the body detox, that you're detoxing the spike protein. But that's you can't say that. You can you know tell them this will help. These have helped in detox before. Right. But you know, if we could measure it, we would know. But I do have something that I think is going to be really helpful. I've got a PhD looking into it, but an article came out about EDTA chelation. EDTA was designed um, to bind with lead and get it out of the body for lead poisoning. Oh. Does and it work on graphene it, oxide? You know, one of those noxious chemicals yeah, in the Yeah, that's what depth? it appears. Oh, it, it appears okay. it does. All right. And we have done EDTA chelation in my clinic for years. Huh. And we do it for um, for heavy metal poisoning. We, but also, when World War II, they found out it improved the vascular disease, particularly in diabetics. So you can help clean out the blood vessels for people with um, diabetes and, and, you know, coronary artery disease. So that's what we've primarily used it for. But I've got this PhD looking into this article because there was a lot of terms in there that I didn't understand. But his first look at it, he said, well, we know that there's hydrogels that are isolating these components. So what they did was they injected you with the protein, the messenger RNA, to create the protein, you know, the spike protein. But there were other things in there that they have not disclosed that 
self-assemble into something else. And um, that there's graphene oxide that's part of that, but they're encased in hydrogels to keep the immune system from attacking it. And then it seems to go and bind to a matrix. See, and now, why what, would you know, design... Why would you design a vaccine? <laughs> so it's not a vaccine. It's a, it's a genetic altering thing that actually has protections from your immune system. That seems a little counterintuitive to me, Deborah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, they said initially they had to encase this, this messenger RNA in the lipid nanoprotein because our immune system would recognize it as foreign and attack it and immediately deactivate it. So they encased it in something so we couldn't destroy it. And they made it bring your immune system down so that it wouldn't be destroyed. But they said it was a temporary effect and would be gone in a few weeks. That's mm-hmm. not true. We are seeing over and over people coming down with all of these bizarre respiratory illnesses. In fact, <clears throat> RSV virus has gone crazy. Um, What's that? Because there are people demand, uh, respiratory syncytial virus. You typically see that in children, but adults have been getting it now because we disrupted the whole ecosystem with this virus, and now RSV and flu are terrible. And the people that took the shots have virtually no immunity to fight these other viruses out there because it knocked it down and it's not come back. And they're calling that vaccine-induced AIDS. And I've seen you know multiple cases of that where it's just knocked out the immune system. And in fact, I'm not sure that it wasn't deliberate too because this. Virus well, that's my next question. Down. Has, you know, uh, it has a piece of the HIV virus in it, a piece yeah. of the HIV virus in these shots, and that's what enabled it to get into our DNA. When they said, they said, oh, this is not going to get into your DNA, I know that they designed it to get into the DNA. Mm-hmm. See, this goes back to AIDS. This is actually... So, so then we have to ask, what is this on another show, whether the HIV virus uh, was, was created? And, and this, these seem to be working together. Oh, yeah, but, it, absolutely, it was absolutely created. You have to get Judy okay. on there. She'll go off. Yeah, I know. Was, yeah, great. But uh, I ask created. her one question, you know, an hour later. <laughs> we get to, okay. I get to ask a second question, but she's wonderful. Um, well, as many times as I've listened to her, I still don't understand half of what she says, but it's just good. Well, uh, go with the podcast. I mean, she's, it, it, I get it. I get as I learn more, I have to, you know, have a dictionary so I can look things up. But here's my, my contention has been all along that the, uh, that the reason that this is a self-perpetuating product. In other words, the product guarantees the need for more of the product. So the, the flu vaccine destroys your immunity to flu, so you have to take more flu shots, which destroys your immunity to flu, which makes you buy more flu shots and makes the flu shot stronger and more expensive. Same thing with, with COVID. The COVID shot actually lowers your immunity to COVID, creates variations to COVID, which creates the need for more COVID shots. How am I doing? You're doing good. Okay. I'm having, you know, my office is beeping in, so I'm going to have to oh, go in and find different. out what they want. Okay. But um, I'm still listening. Oh, okay. Well, if, if, do you need to vamp for a minute? I can play something real quick. If you um, yeah, if you want to do a commercial, that'd be great, because I've obviously got a question to ask me. Okay, well, why don't you do that and uh, mute yourself and, and I'll uh, call be back right back on to the you. other, the landline. That sounds good. Okay. Thank you very much. Wow, so, there, so this is what's the fun of Action Radio, from car to office to, <laughs> we, just, we just do it all. So uh, uh, let me play a couple things real quick. I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. 
My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Grave Care. And now as an affiliate of Grave Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news! Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That. Action Radio. Okay, I'm back, and I've got Pankey on the line, and uh, Dr. Deborah Viglione will be back, I'm sure, as soon as she can. Excuse me. We've got uh, her book is COVID-19 Vaccines and Beyond, What the Medical Industrial Complex is Not Telling Us. And so this was just, like I said, she was on last week. Uh, it's a complex story. I had a bunch more questions, so I asked to come back, which she was nice enough to do. But until she gets here, Pianchi, you and I have a chance to kind of uh, uh, talk about stuff. So new revelations, things you've learned about this, uh, more questions you might have. Cause we've talked about this for two years now, but uh, it's, it's, the, it's the, the, the horrible story that won't go away. So you're back with us, or are you, you, you uh, presently well, occupied? Because people, <clears throat> uh-huh. it's the ignorance of people, once again. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is worse than COVID. Ignorance. Yeah, COVID's not a big deal. And that's hard to explain. You're absolutely right. It's hard to explain to people COVID. Yeah. COVID's a virus. I mean, I had it. I get rid of it. You know, I had it. uh, Do you remember my shows? I should play one of those shows when I had COVID. (laughs) That'd be kind of, because I sounded terrible. 
I mean, I really sounded awful. I'm, I'm coughing and, you know, hacking away here. And, uh, and I was asking for guest hosts. Remember I was asking for guest hosts on the show because I couldn't do it because I had no voice? Yeah. That was pretty funny. So it looks like we got uh, Deborah back on Springer back on. It looks like a different phone line, but that's okay. I'll take any line we can get. Dr. Big Leone, are you back with us? Yeah. Good. I'm back. I was just telling – okay, great. I was just telling uh, Pianchi that uh, when I had COVID – uh, well, I never got it tested officially, but I don't trust the PCR test anyway, so it didn't matter. But uh, when yeah. I had my respiratory illness that was going around, end of December 2019, beginning of January uh, 2020, I've got shows where I was asking for guest hosts, where I sounded terrible, and I couldn't stop coughing. Uh-huh. It was like my two-week cough. Uh-huh, was like, and, and everybody else had the same thing. Yeah, so I talked to cough. so many people that yeah. right in that time, they had exactly this. It's the cough that wouldn't go away. I couldn't lie down. I had to sleep sitting up. I was miserable for about two weeks. So I took a couple of days off work yeah. you know, in addition to the show, and I was fine. But I've got, you know, I've got a, what I call tour guide immunity. Because I was in San Francisco for eight years as a tour guide. I literally shook hands with virtually uh-huh. every country on the planet. So whatever it is, I've been exposed. <laughs> and so I think that's why I got over it yeah. so quickly because I got a really good immune system. But did you find that too, that everybody already had this before we knew what it was way back when? I don't know. I mean, because hmm. some of the people that had that respiratory illness then got it again, but again, it was mutating. You know, so I think most people mm-hmm. at this point have had it twice, may not have known it. Um, but, yeah, it's weird because there was a – I remember that distinctly, that December of 2019, people were sick with something very mysterious. They weren't mm-hmm. testing positive for anything. They, it wasn't the flu. So it had to be that. And it probably started, yeah. yeah, in November. Yeah, that's what but I got. But now it's, you know, and, and it makes well, you see, strong. I, I finally said um, I've been taking ivermectin once a week since January because I just decided if it mutates anymore, I don't have time to be sick. And so I've been doing it. I'll probably start backing off um, after this season. But it hasn't done anything harmful to me, and it makes me feel good. Because when I go to an event, like I'm going to Las Vegas, this, you know, I'll take it when I get back. And I just it gives me an insurance policy that I'm not going to pick up some strange variant. And you never know when yeah. they're going to release the next thing. <laughs> well, that that's a good question. But I was just thinking that, that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, even if um, they they don't, fix your issue or, or, you know, you've got other ways your immune system can handle it, they're not going to do you any harm. I mean, aren't those two some of the two safest drugs out there? Oh, yeah, very safe, you know, as long as they're not overdosed. Like some of the people that buy the horse product, you know, don't calculate right. Let's talk about that because people, we don't want self-medicating. There is a human, there's a person, human form of ivermectin. I guess it's the same thing, but uh, but it's, it, you you really should get it prescribed for your body weight, right? Don't don't experiment with horse stuff. Yeah, that is, that's much safer, okay. you know, than buying the animal product. I mean, if you know what you're doing, the animal product's fine, but you know, you can overdose. You know, because one, I know there was a seizure in somebody who took the dose, the dose of the. 1,200-pound horse should have taken. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, let's, 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 get, let's dive into the book here. Uh, so what is the, the subtitle, what the medical industrial complex is not telling us. So let's, let's talk about the pharmaceutical end of this. This is a business. This is a biological warfare fascist combination of, of big pharma and big government health. And they're, they're, they're making billions, uh, and there's no liability for it. That's what I'm trying to change. Um, but uh, what's the connection? How did it affect you? And, 
you know, what's a, how do they try and order you to do their thing, which everything that the, 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 uh, the medical industrial medical Holocaust, you know, uh, unity did was to preserve COVID. The masks, the lockdowns, the depression, the lack of early mm-hmm. treatment, the, the banning of the things that worked, um, the, the creating of the variations through the, the mRNA thing and all the deaths that are happening now. Everything is designed, it seems to me, to preserve COVID until they got their messenger RNA jab and they're going to kill people that way. That's what it looks like to me. That's exactly right. Oh, That's good. exactly right. Please elaborate. I mean, if you, if you look, well, the, the World Economic Forum, I mean, they've been very public about this. And it's written, but, you know, they think that the world population by their little, you know, algorithms or whatever are mm-hmm. going to get – there's going to be too many people by such and such a year. And the Agenda 2030 says they've got to reduce the number of people on this earth. And Bill Gates, I've seen that video over and over where he's on stage, and he says, well, one of the ways we're going to do this is through the vaccine program. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> vaccine <laughs> well, he allegedly says health, that you're gonna... his excuse is the healthier people have fewer children. That's what he's saying. That's his excuse for it. But well, this was designed to create infertility and reduce the birth rate as well, which is one of okay. the things that Dr. Thorpe is going ballistic on. And he's up in Washington telling them because they're, they're, they're messing up, even if they did you know, succeed. And they are succeeding in reducing the population. But what they haven't calculated is when you have infertility, and I think it's about 40% of a species you're endangered of going extinct. And this, this shot went, well, they lied to us. They said it stayed in the arm, right? No, it didn't. It went immediately to has the brain. Any shot, and the next, has any You have a bloodstream. How can a shot stay in the arm? That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that doesn't make sense, really. But it went right to the ovaries. Well, the ovaries contain all, at birth, all mm-hmm. the eggs, you know, that you're ever going to have. And they get destroyed over time. So you don't ovulate all the eggs you ever had. You know, a lot of them don't ever make it. So that's the whole human race right there. And if you knock out the ovary, we go extinct. It's not like sperm. You you know, millions of them every day, every hour, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's I'm happy to repopulate a village and, if necessary. But, you know, I mean, I'd make that sacrifice. Yeah. I'm teasing you. But think about it. You know, it takes nine months to have a baby, and then the woman yeah. has to recover. You know, it's not like she can crank out an infant number, and, and we don't have litters like animals do. So they've made a huge mistake. And, they, you know, the um, miscarriage rate was so high with this because the placenta couldn't form correctly because of this – Judy can talk about that – syncytion gene. But, you know, the placenta couldn't form, and so a lot of people that had, you know, had miscarriages are having very difficult, you know, times Mm -hmm. getting pregnant again because I guess it's still active. So we've got, they're killing the babies in utero, and and some of them are being born, but they're malformed. We don't know what the immune system of the babies of the vaccinated is going to be like. Time's going to tell. Are they going to be at high risk for cancer? Because that's one of the problems with the shots is... It's knocking out the um, the part of the immune system that fights cancer. So, you know, it remains to be seen. I want to do more of that on the show, too. We lost one of my favorite people on the show, Dr. Peter Pry, who was our nuclear weapons EMP, just a brilliant man. He was an expert in all these areas. In fact, I'm compiling four years of his shows, putting together for his family and the Senator for Security Policy. Um, 
But uh, he died, I think, about six months after his COVID shot. And he took it uh, for, for reasons of travel, like a lot of people did, for, for business and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had kidney cancer. It was going away. And I remember about with it about mm-hmm. a year or so ago, uh, maybe a year and a half ago now. Uh, and, then, and then all of a sudden it came raging back, and he was gone in August. You know, I've got, I've got his last show. He sounds terrible. Uh, and so I, I can mm-hmm. almost guarantee that that was a COVID shot, just like we did a show on Brian Sitnik. Remember the, the police officer, that, uh, the mm-hmm. Capitol Hill police officer that died shortly after January 6th? They said was beaten with a fire extinguisher. He had two strokes at the mm-hmm. age of 40. That sounds like a COVID shot because Capitol Hill got the COVID shots first. Right. So it makes sense that it would show up six weeks right. later, you know, with him. So th- th- those are my speculations. I can't prove it, of course, but that's what I'm thinking. Well, that's, that's the problem, too, because, um, you know, they're not doing autopsies for the most mm-hmm. part. And um, they're Gee, just saying, especially if you're over 65, they're just like, well, you died of a heart attack or stroke. That happens. Now they're trying to normalize strokes in young people. I've heard that there's buses in cities, you know, mm-hmm. Saying on the side, you know, young people have strokes. I'm like, what? No, they don't. You know, the only strokes I ever saw in young people were if you had a severe coagulation problem and then you took birth control pills. You know, this is not normal. Yeah, young people don't have heart attacks either. Heart attacks in young people. They want all these athletes. I mean, the the Olympics, they saw typically 23 deaths per year. And I, I don't know the statistics in the book, but... Um, it was just a huge increase in the number of athletes dying. You know, it's unbelievable. But, you know, think about it. The athletes, they're pushing their bodies harder than the rest mm-hmm. of us do ever. And they've got myocarditis or they're making those micro blood clots or they're making those horrendous stringy fibrous um, things that Dr. Hurst Oh, I saw, I saw died in. suddenly. Yeah, don't, don't, don't. Do that when you're I preparing a meal. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have those clots. I have those clots in my office in vials. He sent them to me so that I could show them to people. Wow. Um, and they're also, we've got pictures of it in the book. Well, that's kind of my tactic because people that have been, you know, so indoctrinated into the system that the vaccines mm-hmm. work, and I'm trying to get them, and they feel like they're protecting, you know, they're immune compromised in their family. And I'm like, you're not protecting them. And if anything, you shed on them. We saw so many people that took the shot for their loved one that maybe was in here for cancer treatment, and their loved one got it because they shed the virus on them. And they didn't tell you that you need to kind of stay away from people for a month after you have this because you can give them COVID. Um, you know, so That's we what pointed earlier that, that uh, separate separate restaurants, separate airline things. You know, I, I had a point earlier. I was thinking well, that. Uh, yeah. Well, should, should we have separate blood supply? Let's have, let me ask that first. We were talking about that earlier. A separate. We really need a separate blood supply, and doctors need to set we up, do. you know, some kind of something. Right. And then, you know, at this point, you know, you, you're relying on people to be honest if they're mm-hmm. donating blood, or the people that administer it to be honest that they're. Well, they didn't do that with HIV. They, they screen blood for HIV. Right. Why right. they screen it for a vaccine? You know, can you screen for uh, a COVID shot? Well, they probably can, but again, the technology isn't like widely available. Now, they did put this dye called luciferase into the the shot. So, with the idea Lucifer, Ace? Yeah. Name. Yeah. Yes, I know. Isn't that interesting? But they were, mm. um, they did that because I think they wanted to be able to scan people to see that whether or not they had the shot. 
But I don't know anybody with a scanner and if it's working. Um, but yeah. that would be one way you could screen people, say, well, you said you didn't have one, but I'm going to put you in the scanner and see if any of that dye shows up. Interesting. But I don't know if that yeah. dye goes away in time either. There's just so much we don't know. Yeah, let me get to Pianchi's question. Pianchi, you, you had a question? Well, you talk about uh, population control. Look at abortions. Mm-hmm. Well, and look at the uh, crime in these cities. Yeah, this this I mean, shot is causing more abortions than the RDE pill. What? That's Say that again. That's, that's, people need it, to hear that. The, the pill that causes abortions, this shot causes more. So it's stronger than the abortion pill. Are people taking so multiple vaccines yeah. to cause abortions? Is because is, I was re- hearing a special on the news that uh, sex crimes, people that are guilty of uh, of rapes, they're they're taking their their young girls. Um, you know, uh, minor children to have abortions to cover up sex crimes. Are people overdosing on, on vaccines from wow. fear, or, or are they using it as a birth control? Not, well, I don't have any knowledge of that, but that sounds horrible. Yeah. Well, they're two different uh, subjects. Well, Pianchi's made a good point with mm-hmm. abortion, uh, and I want to I, I sort of relate that. We, said, we hear about the Great Reset. Now, there's the liberal version of it, and then I think there's the real version. We are being replaced in this country by illegal aliens. Now, illegal aliens are not encouraged or not required to get the shot coming into the country. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any evidence? Is this in the book at all? Illegal aliens, are they, are they coming in, in in large numbers with uh, COVID problems, vaccine problems, or not? I mean, in other words, are they purposely not getting it so that they will no, be they're not a replacement? required to take it. Okay. Yeah, they're not. I don't think we go into that at all on the book. But, okay. yeah, they're not Let's, being required to take it. Well. Let's get in the time we have. And if you, if you want to extend a little bit past the top of the hour, feel free. Um, but let's cover anything that uh, we should be covering. So anything you want to say about Big Pharma, the CDC, Dr. Fascist, uh, the statistics, anything that we haven't – we've covered a lot, which is great. But uh, you need to come back regularly. Well, you need to give them back often. They, they have yeah. never been – the CDC is a, a guide, and NIH, they've never – determine what standard of care is and the way we're supposed to treat our patients. And when people say, well, we did what the CDC said, that's absurd. you got to do what you know is right. And the standard of care, Dr. McCullough talks about, the standard of care may be the one physician in the community that is treating successfully, no matter what it is. That becomes your standard of care. So, you know, we feel like those of us and the funny thing is, we didn't know of each other really through all of this. And we came together for the Panhandle Doctors for Truth because we were all just independently finding out, you know, that a lot through Dr. Dzilinko and Raul about what we could use. And then, of course, our clinic took it a step further with the IVs and finding out what works, um, as were some other clinics. But I, the reason I was very quiet is... Um, one of the doctors in Michigan was taken out in handcuffs by the FBI because she was giving vitamin C IV in her clinic. That that was just crazy. And I thought, man. So I was probably the only person glad that our bridge was out during 2020 because <laughs> if they wanted to come get me, they really had to go to a lot of trouble to find me. <laughs> yeah, you weren't worth bothering yet. That's, what, that's why the FBI hasn't dropped into my door yet. I mean, although I'm, I think that's because we're so suppressed. I'm actually saved by my suppression from the FBI that we're so suppressed in, the, in, the, in, in social media and other places that uh, they don't think we're, we're, oh. we're big enough to bother with. But we will be as soon as our bills hit the uh, – uh, hit the national news, which is which is coming. It's just a matter of time. Um, 
but why are doctors knuckling under this so much? Um, the, 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 they think they have to follow orders. You know, the, the, this is, and politicians do. do too. I've heard it from our own politicians. Well, we're, we're just, you know, even our own mayor of, uh, of Milton, Florida here said that, well, on my show, I mean, I, I'm not making this up. You know, and she said, well, I'm in the chain of command. I have to follow orders. Uh, what are you talking about? Well, she didn't say I have to follow orders. But she said, I'm in the chain of command. You know, and I'm just following the directives of the CDC. I said, well, you don't have to do that. They're guidelines. They're suggestions. You know, think for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't do that. They're all well, in lockstep. And, and They're all... People did lose their jobs. I mean, look at the military and other people that stood up and said, no, I don't have to do this. This is not well, a on the regular show. order. It's not a, it's mm-hmm. not a legal order. Mm-hmm. I don't have to follow this. And um, I, I hope that through all this it's going to empower people to realize that they don't have to do something, especially something mm-hmm. like this. It's experimental. And, and now as the more and more data comes out, it's actually lethal. So you don't have to do that. You know, there are legal actions, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of people suffered, had to, you know, um, get other jobs. But, fortunately, you know, most, everybody I know were able to get other jobs. But we wrote as many vaccine exemptions as we could get through. <laughs> yeah, I have friends, so thank you. Um, wh- how bad, you know, for folks that don't know, everybody thinks, and this is the big fear, and this is the fear that was generated, drove people to uh, the messenger RNA jabs. But COVID itself, if there were no government involvement at all, how dangerous is the actual virus? It really isn't if you get early treatment. Okay. And we think that we could have reduced 85% of hospitalizations, probably 90% of hospitalizations, but 85% of deaths if people mm-hmm. gotten early treatment. That's what they were suppressing because once – the virus was designed to put you inside a kind storm. And if you're older and your immune system isn't what it should be, you know, you're going to get into trouble. And then, of course, the ventilators were horrible, but they did everything What's the they could to keep Describe people Describe a ventilator. Getting. Yeah, I don't think people know what a ventilator is. Well, that is. takes over your breathing. They stick a tube down your throat and hook you up to a machine so it breathes for you, and it can mm-hmm. push, you know, the oxygen into your lungs. But the problem was the the I'll, I'll call it just fluid, basically. All the inflammation was so thick that they had to push too hard to try to get the oxygen through that, that they were blowing out people's lungs. So it turned out to be a very bad thing, where I believe, as Jim does, if they had given them ozone every six hours, they could have gotten oxygen another way. And they did that with ECMO on a few people, but most hospitals didn't have a lot of ECMO machines. Where you can oxygenate the body. Oh, gosh. Extracorporeal. (laughs) Just tell me what um, it does. (laughs) You have to know the acronym, but yeah. It basically, it takes the blood and runs it through a machine and oxygenates it so that you don't have to have the lungs. And same thing, you know, by if we'd done ozone. In fact, there was a study in Spain, which I don't think it ever got published, but it came out. But it was, they had... um, hospitalized patients and ICU patients, and they gave them ozonated saline, I think it was ozonated saline, every six hours, and everybody went home, you know, wow. within 10 days. Yeah, so it was amazing. So where's, where's the media? Where's the, where's the conservative foundation? Where's the bankroll? Where's the, the – in fact, I talked about this yesterday with Mario Prado. I'm going to send him our show today. Uh, he's a Hollywood producer. He's producing the movie called The Falcon, which I'm involved with. Um, but where's, where's the counter media? Where are all the doctors' organizations putting specials? How come we don't see, you know, big specials? Or, or, uh, or where's Dinesh D'Souza, you know, with because uh, he had the um, – he's talking about 2,000 mules, 
you know, where is the counter media uh, to present the truth of this? Or is that suppressed too? Well, no, I mean, you've got Epic Times. Um, people have Substack that they go on. I have not been on True Social. I don't know what's going on there. Twitter definitely got um, censored. Um, the oh, yeah. High Wire. I mean, you've got, and then uh, UI Media. There, all these media outlets did crop up. Thing is, like my mother-in-law is a perfect example of being indoctrinated into ABC, CBS, you know, she's like, well, these sounds suspicious. How do you know they're telling you the truth? You know, and, and some of them picked some screwy names that does, you know, kind of make them look suspicious. But, you know, oh, it's just awful. Like Raw News, Raw News is a little scary, but people think that most of what they're saying is true. But it is hard. You have to be discerning and look into more than one source, you know, test it. You've got to be very careful, you know, of what you just believe. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, I, I got one last question, and, it, um, and that's on the psychology of this, the whole idea of the mass psychosis. You know, it, are we doing enough to treat the fear of COVID uh, as opposed to just COVID itself and, and the after effects of, uh, of the jab? Uh, no, I don't think okay. at all. So our book is an attempt to do that, um, you know, to tell people the truth, to wake them up. And then hopefully, you know, over time we're going to be able to, have an assay or something so we can see if we're being effective at getting the, the spike protein out, you know, okay. and the graphene oxide. So if you want to get really scared, go look at um, self-assembly What's that? and see, you know, what they're doing. Well, the idea is they're going to inject you with components of things, and they usually include hydrogels. So once it gets in the body, it will self-assemble to whatever they want it to do. Oh. Of course, they're making it out that they're going to make two good things. Uh-huh. But because these objects are so big, you know, they, they won't, the structure won't go through a needle. So they put it in the body and tell it to self-assemble. What I think, this is just me, uh-huh. but those stringy fibrous clots, that it, instead of self-assembling into some circuitry that I think was designed for brain control, um, and, and that's in the book, you'll see the pictures of, when it did assemble properly, it, it made circuitry. The these clots where the body didn't do it right and made blood clots instead. But they're not your typical blood clot. Well, could that be like a, like, a, like a scab on your skin? As, like a scab on your skin when your body you know, uses that to heal. Was that a method of the body healing this invasion and turning it into a blood clot that but no. they just got so big? No. No, I think it was it was self-assembling. It was instructed to make something, and so it made this instead because when they did it under power magnification, they saw, like, wires and things in this. Now, the oh. other blood clots, the microclots and a lot of the pulmonary embolism, that was um, spike protein causing um, you to make clots. That's different. Those were, like, normal clots, but there was tons of them. Listen, I'm going to have to go. Okay. No, I appreciate I all your time. Do work again. Where we get the book? Okay. Give me all the Enjoy details. It. Let's let's uh, do your plug. Uh, yeah. I mean, make it shameless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look up Sally Sachs and me or Jim Thorpe, but COVID nineteen vaccines and beyond. Sounds good. All Thank right. you very much, and thanks for the work you do. Appreciate time. it. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Bye now, Dr. Deborah Viglione. I was going to ask if Pianki if you had one more question, but she she had to leave. So, uh, wow. I'm going to take a break in just a second, but uh, Pianki, do any. Uh, Observations, new things you learned. Uh, this is this is pretty 
dramatic stuff that we're living in a strange age that not only can you not trust the government, but the government's probably trying to kill you. Well, I don't know why they want to kill Americans. Americans is a population of the most smartest and richest in other groups. So but, we're, uh, but we're rebellious. That's a really good question. Well, as, as I'll talk to Deborah about this another time, um, but uh, the, the whole idea that they're killing off the uh, the compliant. You remember that show I did from compliance to resistance. You know, those of us who are resisting who refuse to jab the independent people, we're sticking around. You know, the people that are that are willfully submitting to the fear, or they think they're doing the right thing, or they're virtue signaling, or they really believe that grandma will die if they don't take the shot, and all these other things that are going on. Those are the folks that are getting affected. And those are the folks that are dying from this thing. Well, the human body has been exposed to trillions of viruses since its conception. That archival mm-hmm. information for the immune system is stored in your bone marrow. That's why I come when uh, they, they do bone marrow transport. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is it? Uh, transplant. What is it? Bone, marrow bone marrow transplant. Transplant. Plant. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yep. When a person, for instance, is uh, trying to cure from cancer, and so it's nothing. Well, the old Bible verse is nothing new under the sun, and technically, yeah. it wouldn't be anything new under the sun. And then when you interbreed with other ethnic groups, you actually strengthen your immune system because they, in the environment that they live in, have grown up in, have evolved in, have came in the contact and been exposed to things that you didn't, but the interbreeding will combine those, those traits, those traits which can be beneficial. That's, that's what happened when people went around the world and uh-huh. met other populations and they passed on diseases which killed all portions of the population, but some survived and the ones that survived had a strong immune system. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you think about uh, mixing uh, different folks. You know, my parents came from completely different lineages, uh, completely different a- ancestral countries. You know, my father is, is of Greek origin. My mother's of English origin uh, and uh, different blood types, different everything. You know, my father's family went uh, from Greece uh, to the United States to Australia. And my dad was born in Australia. You know, uh, my mother's family came from England to the United States and they were loyalists. So they went up to they, they believed in the British monarchy. So they went up to Canada which is where the, most of the loyalists ended up. So you have two completely, completely different uh, genetic lines. And so genetically, I've been pretty healthy because it's, it's, it's such an incredible mix. And plus, like I say, my tour guide immunity, you know, I've been doing pretty well. I never wore a mask um, except uh, like, uh, you know, on my chin at work for, for a part-time job I had. Uh, I never stopped doing anything. I never stayed home. Uh, I, you know, I went out and met in public and did things in public and shopped in public and did all kinds of stuff. And I never had a fear of this, especially after having what I thought was COVID initially. I thought, well, okay, I'm immune. Cause you know, when you, once you have something, you're, you're pretty much immune and you might get it again in a lesser form. I think I had a cold, you know, a year or so later, um, cause I had to do a, a medical checkup and, uh, you know, and, and think I might've got something again, this, but that's another time I haven't been sick. I've been remarkably healthy <laughs> since COVID, which I think is kind of interesting. I don't even get a cold anymore. So I think my immune system kicked into such high gear fighting this bizarre virus that, that my immune system works really well now. 
So in many ways, if you got COVID, got over it naturally or, or with some help of, uh, you know, some of the supplements, the ozone or ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, that you're actually stronger for it. You got a better immune system because it, it, it handles something that had never been seen before. And they don't take that into account. It's all very interesting. Well, the body, human body is a marvelous specimen. Mm-hmm. That's often Un- taken until, for it, until it fails you. Yeah, until it ultimately fails. To, uh, until then. Yeah, you know, do what you can because because you got you got some uh, you got some decent years to get some things accomplished. All right, let me take one more break here. I want to talk about the the uh, the stealing of the election in Georgia, and it, it makes absolutely no sense to me that a uh, basically a black supremacist Marxist leftist could be elected in a southern you know conservative state. Intuitively, that doesn't make sense. Uh, I got a couple of articles we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. In the meantime, let me play a few things for you. And then we've got about 45 minutes when I come back and we'll, uh, we'll hash this out. Anybody wants to join us, 215-383-3832. We also have live chat that people aren't taking advantage of much. Um, but if you look at the bottom of your broadcast page and you'll have live chat. Someone was here, decided not to uh, – uh, oh, Warren from New Orleans Wake Up was, was on, but decided not to type a message. Warren, you can type a message. You can even call the show. I don't mind. Anyway, be back. Start again. Be back in just a bit. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, Misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, 
Paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. back. Action Radio here, Greg Penglis, and uh, phone number 215-383-3832. We also have live chat, and we have a Skype line. So if you want to call us on the Skype line uh, from anywhere uh, on the planet, feel free. And the way you do that is you call first, and then I approve your account, and then you're okay to call probably the next day. Uh, and so the, the, the number is right here on our broadcast page, as well as phone numbers, our discount code, uh, discount code WYL for all our various products, um, schedules on here, everything, everything you need is running your broadcast page to keep you all informed. So let's, um, I have one question for Pianchi before I get a little bit in the election here. And that is we have a very special guest tomorrow, David Stockman. And as usual, when we get the big public figures, uh, a lot of times I can't take calls. A lot of times by request, I can't take calls. They don't, uh, they don't want uh, callers or extra discussions and things like that. And so, because uh, we only here for like 15, 20 minutes, you know, maybe more. Uh, Peter Navarro, we got lucky. He was here twice as long as he thought. <laughs> that worked out well. But, um, Pianchi, do you remember David Stockman? Remember him in the, during the Reagan administration talking about where he could cut the budgets dramatically? And, the, of course, all the leftists called him a fascist, uh, which, of course, is what they are. Um, and that uh, – do you have a question or anything that you, know, you want to know about? Because I'm going to be talking about our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. I think that's going to be very interesting to him um, because I don't think that's ever been seriously proposed, and I'm certainly proposing it. So you've got, got a big economic question? Or anything on your mind economically? Well, there should be uh, there should be a constitutional amendment on the budget. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the debt. Okay. For one thing, there should be a constitutional amendment on the powers that Congress has assigned to itself. In what way? Do you, you want to you wanna make them do things they're supposed well, like to do, or, or, or you, stop them doing? Like for instance, she just got through mentioning about. The FBI showing up at uh, one clinic where they were prescribing vitamin mm-hmm. C. Yep. So the FBI becomes the enforcement arm, becomes the KGB for the CDC, you know, which is a non-regulatory agency deriving its powers loosely from the Commerce Clause. And if the reason I know that is because I looked up the CDC. It says so right on the website that the Commerce Clause, right. the ability to regulate interstate commerce. So the CDC is really a drug pharmaceutical uh, disease um, promoting agency, <laughs> you know, and regular and, and uh, you know, and they're, they're, but they do this from commerce. Well, what's bigger commerce these days than uh, these, these fraud vaccines that are COVID jabs that are messenger RNA. So it makes sense that the government of the commerce clause, what the CDC is engaged in is government commerce. That's exactly what they're doing. Well, Maybe yeah, I they, talk about that. never meant to be that way. It nope. was never meant to be that way. Congress have assigned those type of authorities on for itself. Actually, the federal government has no enforcement powers, mm-hmm. no police. There's no powers, public health jurisdiction. Say. Yeah, there's no they public have health no jurisdiction power whatsoever. Uh huh. And you know another thing is we talk about it all the time. 
Okay. Is that states have the right to nullify any congressional act if they think that it's unconstitutional. Just yeah. like a so jury what are the ways to do that? has the what right to they? nullify a law. So what are the ways that states can do that? Let's, we should probably go over that because it's always nice to get a, a methodology to it. So states can nullify federal law how? Say go to hell like it did 65 miles off season. <laughs> That's a good way. So we, we have the go to hell veto. I, I kind of like that. Fuse to enforce. That's a way. Um, the, the, uh, the, the kicking out of federal officials trying to enforce something. You know, like uh, the states where the, the Bundy Ranch was, the state, I forget which state it was, could have taken all the feds and said, you're out of here. They could take their land back. Well, you got to look at it a different ways. way. Mm-hmm. You remember when Obama went to Kenya and, told, and was going to talk to Kenya about opening up the society for same-sex uh, arrangements? Kenya told Obama basically go to hell. Don't come mm-hmm. here talking yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. what is the what, what we call states are they are they not countries too? Mm-hmm. And they are. Well, I come nation states. The nation states seems to be most appropriate. So when it's interesting, of all the countries Obama could have gone to in Africa, he picked Kenya. Doesn't that strike people as interesting? You know, the 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 alleged place of his birth. You know, from his fraudulent birth certificate that uh, Joe Arpaio on my show said was a fraudulent birth certificate. Why would he go to Kenya? Why not Uganda? Why not Zaire? Why not uh, Algeria? I don't know. He, These are all countries that listen to us, by the way. To, he tried to several other places, Liberia, of course, Nigeria. Nigeria until Liberian lady, uh, Eleanor Sharif, told him, nope, that ain't for us. So that's the states have the same power, too. If it goes against what the uh, the uh, grounded statue is, that is the U.S. Constitution, they can say we're not going to do it. Has states, um, do you know if a state uh, Supreme Court has ever overturned a federal law directive or regulation saying that it go, that goes against our Constitution, that doesn't apply here? You cannot enforce this law or just overruled it as being under the federal Constitution. Saying, well, under the federal Constitution, you cannot rule uh, a ban on what you're calling assault weapons because it violates the Second Amendment. Has a state court ever rejected a federal law that way? I have never known of any circumstances where that has happened. It's usually in a state constitution is sort of in line with the U.S. Constitution, almost per verbatim, when you look at the verbiage and the textualization of it. But uh, in the essence, they have the right to do that. It's just like uh, popular vote don't elect presidents. It's the state electors that elect presidents. And mm-hmm. uh, people get all confused. Well, see, people forget that the states elect the president. The people elect the House. The states individually are supposed to elect their senators, and the states collectively elect the president. That's, that's, that's federalism. That's the separation of powers. That's a republic. A democracy is where the people elect everybody and everything, and those don't work. Yeah, democracy is when yeah. you elect your, your congressperson for your district. <laughs> When mm-hmm. you let your school go, that's democracy. Yeah. But you're right. The sovereignty, the republic comes when uh, the states, the countries come together and they say this is who we want to represent mm-hmm. our voice at mm-hmm. this uh, central uh, institution that is the federal government. Yep. And, and a republic is also where the individual rights are absolute. Now, the exercise of those rights is not. 
you know, but the actual right itself is absolute. In other words, until you, uh, you have an absolute right to exercise free speech until you say something that comes under libel or slander under statutory law. But statutory law is always below the Constitution, so the statutory law that uh, makes a crime of, of certain speech cannot affect the absolute right of free speech of people to exercise it. And that's a hard concept yes, for people to get to. Yes, not fundamental. Yeah, yeah. So rights, so individual rights and the exercise of rights, regardless of how other people feel about them, is there, is a is a con- we should do a thing on on the the the, um, the the characteristics of a republic. Well, what do you think of the election last night? Let's 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 switch to uh, Herschel Walker and uh, Raphael. Well, Warnock. I haven't had a chance to look at it. The only thing I can say is that the the people voted for who they wanted to vote for, and uh, that's all that you can hope that uh, goes on. Do you think it was a legal election? I can't say that. I don't have enough information on it. <clears throat> I mean, like they okay. said, that like Jim, uh, like Biden was claiming that the election reform was Jim Crow 2.0. Yet still, you had more people come out and vote uh, and exercise their right than any time before that. So that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be able to exercise their right. The whole idea about people can't have water and stuff, well, that should be clear that Mm -hmm. uh, you're not supposed to electioneer within a certain distance from the polling place. Uh, So the water was a scam. They were were giving out water, but they're also campaigning along the the polling lines. So they say, hey, here's the water, by the way, you should vote Democrat. What's that? I'm sorry? Yeah, water bottles had campaign information on it. Yeah, I didn't realize that, but I knew they were. I know that people were talking to the people, uh, and that's illegal. <clears throat> so if you want to give water, just bring around a bucket and say, "Here, here's some water," and then shut up, <laughs> you know, from an unmarked bucket <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, so here's one of my favorite reporters, Emerald Robinson, who's going to be on Frank's Speech um, at eleven, but that's the same time as I've got. Let me see if I got my invite to Senator Johnson's uh, thing here. Don't see it yet. Hopefully that'll be that'll be issue. I'm gonna go try and find the uh, maybe it's on CNN or something like that. But I'll, I'll pick it up on a website. But uh, Senator Johnson's holding. Oh wait a minute. Uh, oh they're gonna show it on on um, on uh, Children's Health Defense TV. So I do have it. Ha! I've got my way to see it. There we go. December seventh, Pearl Harbor Day. Yeah, interesting. So I want to see that. Uh, of course, my dream is that uh, our bills come up. That somebody of the many people I've written to about our vaccine uh, product liability bill restoring liability to big pharma and our bill that fixes big tech censorship uh, takes their immunity from, from liability. Uh, if they touch anything that you post anything about your account or any arrangement of search engines beyond the, the, the num- just the raw number of hits. Um, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm not hopeful yet, uh, but until we get some really, you know, a series of big stars, you know, surrounding that, that's going to be what's happening. Anyway, let me get this article. So Emerald Robinson's the right way. It's on Substack. I am going to be writing for Substack as soon as I get a little extra time to get my, my Substack stuff together. The article is, Something Stinks in Georgia Again. <clears throat> and this is from, uh, from just a little while ago. This is 14 hours ago. Let me refresh the screen. It's probably yesterday. Uh, sometime. Let's just let's get this all back. A couple of seconds of computer. And... We should be. No, it still says 14 hours ago. So that's, that's yesterday, basically. Uh, something stinks in Georgia again. And the sub-question is, how did 20,000 votes for Herschel Walker disappear on Election Day? This was the previous Election Day. This would have been in November, uh, not the runoff. So, so, so 20,000 votes from uh, Herschel Walker apparently disappeared, which would have put him over the top, over the 50%, and there wouldn't have been a runoff. 
So that's where the first vote cheating went. She says, here's a very short post regarding the Georgia Senate election. It's something to ponder while we await the runoff results. So this was written before we learned last night that uh, Rafael Warnock had once again taken the election. She says the election integrity group Voter GA, that would be for Georgia, Voter GA, released the following press release on December 2nd. And this is from Voter GA. They got a nice little thing here. Your media contact, Cheryl Soloway. 404-273-5133. Please feel free. Uh, Cheryl is at, uh, what's it? Write our, something like that. Oh, I can't read it. It's, it's a little small. I'll get to it later. Anyway, go, go, go find Voter GA. <laughs> she says, hey, here's the press release. Atlanta, Georgia, December 2nd, 2002. Voter GA released more evidence today substantiating the 20 plus thousand vote decline that Herschel Walker's U.S. Senate election totals experienced at 10 p.m. on election night. Gee, isn't that the time they always do it, <laughs> right? Before and after screenshots of interim election results reported by Georgia Public Broadcasting, that would be GBB, for the 2022 election, general election show the inexplicable decrease for Herschel Walker. Yeah, you're not supposed to lose votes in an election count. You're supposed to continually gain votes. Yeah. At the same time, this is back to the article, opponent Raphael Warnock's total increased by over 4,000, and libertarian candidate Chase Oliver's total increased by over 300. Fascinating. Amazing how that works. The screenshots, back to the article, the screenshots are accompanied by a sworn affidavit from the Chatham County resident who witnessed the reported, reporting, uh, report, witnessed the reporting anomaly on election night while watching GPB. Her affidavit corroborates another sworn affidavit from a Paulding County resident who witnessed a nearly identical drop reported on WSB-TV at the same time. Both affidavits are further confirmed by the media line feed of election results provided by Edison Research. That line feed made it available in 2022 by CNN, there we go, also shows a similar, even greater decrease. The decrease was not reported on the line feed until over a day later, indicating that line feed data may have been manipulated. What do you mean may have been? (laughs) If you lose 20,000 votes, that's definitely a manipulation, right? The 20,000 vote decrease vary slightly depending on the time slice of the interim election results that are being reported. It was not enough to, t- to make a difference in whether or not there's a runoff in the U.S. Senate race set for Tuesday, December 6th. Okay, see, I thought there was. So I, I, I'm, I'm being corrected here. They said the 20-vote decrease was not enough to make a difference in whether there'd be a runoff or not. Still should be explained. And it says neither GPB nor SOS, uh, the SOS office, that'd be Secretary of State, was willing to, re- to respond to a request to explain the anomaly. Well, that's uh, that's that. Uh, who's that guy? Brian. What's his name? Uh, and Brian, something the the governor of Georgia, who's useless. And the other one, Rafa. No, who's the the uh, uh, Rafsenberger? Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp. So Brian Kemp and what's his name? Rafsenberger, Secretary of State. Both of whom are completely useless and who helped the insurrection put Brandon in office over Trump. Anyway, the SOS Secretary of State's office receives receives election results from the from most Georgia counties. Uh, indirectly through third-party election reporting software known as Clarity Elections. Oh, guess what I get to look up now? Clarity Clarity Elections. I'll, I'll send this to Diane, too. Now, what is Clarity Elections? Does it sound like something that would, that would clear up the election, which means it's, it's there to obscure it? Because everything's its opposite. You know, the vaccines are safe and effective. Yeah. Well, what else is opposite? And from the government, well, whatever you know, happened to the old plain three-function calculator? Yeah, once you tabulate the results, you know, there should be somebody with a calculator. It's something uh-huh. going on with these yep. electronic voting apparatuses. And it gets back to that old cliche. All these people can't be lying about this. And mm-hmm. 
Some of the latest is going to come out because it usually does. But it does raise questions that need to be answered. Me, like I said before, that mm-hmm. the federal ballot should be separate from state and local. And also it should be paper ballot. No connection to any electronic devices whatsoever. And votes are cast, votes are counted were cast on the day that they are cast. Mm-hmm. And they should be yeah. reported with witnesses to the report going to a central location where they receive, but with witnesses on the reception end. And then yeah, just write the tolls down, uh, make, uh, disseminate those tolls amongst some counters and give them a calculator. And if they all come up with the same sum, well, that's it. Mm-hmm. No, it makes sense. I mean, the only the only difference I would have is I don't mind early voting because early, you know, if you're if you're a Democrat on welfare, um, then you don't care how long you wait in line. You're getting paid anyway. But if you're if you're a busy, you know, conservative America first or with uh, with uh, the business you're starting, you don't have time to wait in line. And so voting on election day may be, you know, that may be the day the, day the kids come down with the flu. That might be the day that uh, it's pouring rain and, or some other, or the bridge is out. That might be the day that any number of things can happen. So I'm with the Dick Morris philosophy to a point. His thing, he said that, uh, you know, every day is election day. And that's how the Democrats look at it. Every day is election day. You know, so they prepare for elections years in, in advance. I'm going to pull up Dick Morris's rules. I think I got them right here. I was watching Newsmax Sunday. Or is it Sunday or Saturday? He's on at six o'clock, and Newsmax is pretty, uh, pretty in the tank for uh, Mike Pence. I think also they're not real Republicans. Three rules are: vote early. Every day is election day. Vote by mail. You know, bank the votes early, and and harvest ballots. You know, learn to vote like Democrats. Those are his three rules. I agree with the first one: vote early. Uh, it's nice in principle to vote on election day, and I've heard people say you might have even said it, Pianki. That uh, if you don't vote on a, if you, if everybody votes on different days, it gives them more time to cheat. Well, if they're going to cheat, they're going to cheat anyway. They're going to do it by computer. They're going to just erase twenty thousand votes, like they seem to have done in this case. Those vote totals are just going to disappear. And people thought, you know, people took screenshots. You know, they were taking photos with their cell phones. You know, all of a sudden, Herschel Walker loses twenty thousand plus votes, and they didn't think people would notice because it was ten o'clock at night. Oh, give me a break. That's why I need video cams on the results of these newscasts as they're coming out so that we can, uh, we can get around this kind of stuff. Huh. I think you're – well, so could you, Pianki, would, would early voting be a problem for you, or do you really want everybody, everybody to vote on Election Day? Give you a chance to answer. He's thinking about it. We have an election here on the 10th of uh, December. And they started early voting by the oh, I think I voted last week. I went in early when nobody in the polls, but uh, mm-hmm. it's convenient for me. Well, I think it, that's the thing. It's convenient to vote early because then you can pick the time that you want to vote when you have some free time. So I don't mind that. Now, whether it's two weeks or a month, I, you know, I don't think it really – I would like to see two weeks because it is better to vote closer to the election because things come out. But we need a rule that all debates have to be done – before early voting starts. That would be a smart thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I, uh, I'm totally susceptible to these machines. 
Something's going well, on there. Well, and not only the machines, but the but the actual tallies. So not only do you have problems with the machine itself, and we have the DS200 I'm going to try and get rid of. Uh, there's already a petition circulating in Santa Rosa County, Florida, to get rid of the DS200, I think, programmable modem, you know, potentially equipped uh, voting machine. Because they don't give you a receipt. You don't know how you voted. You just have to trust that the machine recorded the vote the way that you, you put it in there. But there's no way to know that. All right. So the first problem is the machines. And the second problem is, is when the data is transmitted. Is that transmission of, of data being intercepted? That's uh, when it's susceptible, yes. Just right. like any other signal can uh-huh. be intercepted and then redirected. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, and the vote totals themselves, if they're displaying vote totals on a board somewhere so media can pick it up or APs reporting it or things like that, all you, if, you can, if you can manually change the vote totals by dropping 20,000 plus votes at 10 o'clock when nobody's looking or you think nobody's looking, you know, that's vote fraud. That's probably the, the bigger problem is the manipulation of the totals. So even though the ballots are in, they're counting them fraudulently. They're counting them fraudulently. So you've got fraudulent ballots, and you've got uh, ballot counts that are fraudulent too. So you've got two huge ways to do it. And the third way you do it is you convince all the Republicans to vote on Election Day, and then you make the machines go down, the, the paper the wrong size, you, you run out of ink, you get all the problems you had on Election Day. Well, they didn't have problems in early voting. You well, know, you in know, Arizona, information early voting went delivered. fine. Go ahead. You know, information is uh, transmitted in packets. Hmm. I don't know if you remember the old uh, RTTY, radio tele- telegraph transmission signal. They, that information is sent in packets. So the packet that went before don't have the same information as the packet that's coming behind it or vice versa. Huh. But those packets with today's technology can be hijacked, manipulated, and sent back on its merry route. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's so much to this, but uh, you know, it's, it comes back to what we've always said: paper ballots counted manually, um, or if they have it, now, is there a machine that just tabulates? It doesn't do anything else. There's no modem. There's no electronic capability. It simply scans the ballot, counts the votes, gives you a receipt for where you voted, and counts them accurately. Is just such a machine? I mean, I haven't found one yet. I don't know, but, it's, but in the old days, when you go into the booth, the curtain closed behind you, and when you uh, pull the lever for finish, and your your tabulation went on you know, in the machine, the curtain would open. So uh, I think that was a good method as far as using machines. But any way you look at it, mm-hmm. there's nothing like the old paper ballot. You put a mark by the candidate or the issue that you approve, yay or nay. Yeah. Let me just finish this article here. You know, it, 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 these are all good points. Uh, article says that product, and this is what we're talking about, uh, I guess, their voting machines or something. Um, that product was purchased from Cytel. This is another one here, over owned SOE software out of 10. Let me start the paragraph again. Near the GPB, which is the Georgia uh, Pub- Public Broadcasting, GPB, nor the Secretary of State's office was willing to respond to a request to explain the anomaly. In other words, how 20,000 votes suddenly disappeared from the total. A WSB worker, and that would be WSB, where's that? Yeah, anyway, let's, let's, uh, that would be, where is WSB? I'm trying to find here which, which, there was one of the, uh, no, I can't find it. <laughs> anyway, whoever they are, uh, I'm losing my place here. 
A WS, oh, here we go. An election, a WSB election worker who was contacted stated that, and here's a quote, we get our data from the Secretary of State's office. Uh, the Secretary of State's office receives election results uh, from most Georgia counties and indirectly through third-party election reporting software. So there's a problem right there, third-party election reporting software. You shouldn't have that. You should make a phone call. You get your totals. You make a phone call. The other person records what you said. They read it back to you, confirming the numbers, and that goes into the overall tally. That's how you should be doing it. What do you mean third-party election reporting software? If it's software, it can be hacked, and that's known, that's known as Clarity Elections. Then they say that product was purchased from Seidel, owned SOE Software out of Tampa, uh, Florida, by Governor Brian Kemp, who Bianchi just mentioned when he served as Secretary of State. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know Brian Kemp was Secretary of State before he got the governorship. That's interesting because Secretary of State's run the elections. So he's probably used to election fraud. He's been doing it for a while. Then it says the software also provides the results for the media line feed. So we got third-party software that automatically posts vote totals. Well, if the software can post totals, it can also, if it can add votes, it can also take away votes. That's what software does. So now we got to find out where this Clarity Elections um, from CITL, S-C-Y-T-L, um, what kind of thing they put in it. That's, that's, a, that's a project, a Veritas project. Anyway, Voter GA, where we started this thing, co-founder Garland Favorito stated, here's the quote, there is no technical explanation I can see for one candidate's vote totals to decrease dramatically during an election, especially when his opponent's totals are increasing at the exact same time. We are concerned that this indicates some type of electronic vote manipulation. Sure it does. <laughs> it really does. That the Office of Secretary of State is unwilling to investigate and explain. That puts the runoff at risk of the same problem. Yeah, exactly. So uh, if they can manipulate it during the first election, they can manipulate it during the second one. Why not, right? <sighs> anyway, so that's what's going on there. So I don't trust Georgia results. Um, I don't really have a whole lot. i got a bunch of news, but I don't know if I want to start something new. This has been uh, quite an energetic day. Uh, anything on Pearl Harbor you want to talk about again, Pianchi? I might, I might shut us off a little bit early, seeing no calls or no... Uh... Well, I, hope I hope the remembrance is very thorough throughout society. And well, what's going on remembrance... today? What's going on today that you know of? For remember, I mean, there's Arlington National know. Cemetery, I'm sure. Pearl Harbor. The Arizona, they, don't they do a memorial at the Arizona? They have a memorial at the Arizona uh, yearly. I don't know if it occurs on this date. I think it occurs sometime like in July. Okay. Have you been out there? Have you seen the memorial? No, I haven't seen I have never visited the memorial. Huh. Yeah, I took my daughter out there. I wanted to take her to Hawaii when, when we lived in uh, San Francisco Bay Area because it was a lot closer than I am here in Florida. Um, but we went to a couple of – I mean, Hawaii is amazing. I want to spend more time out there. But uh, the island of Oahu, people think of it just as, you know, Waikiki Beach and the big tourist stuff. And, yeah, that's got that. But it's also an incredible island. It's got the Arizona. <clears throat> so you get the history with Pearl Harbor. Uh, it's, got, um, it's got the northern area where they have the most amazing surfing. Uh, it's got the middle of the island, which is, you know, basically a big dole plantation, pineapple plantation. Uh, you've got the, the east coast, which has things like coral houses, amazing mountains, spectacular scenery. It's absolutely gorgeous there. And then you have the western part of the island, the volcanic island. So you get to walk on, on uh, you know, long since cooled lava flows. And walking on lava flows, you know, that meet the ocean is really pretty interesting. Uh, because lava flows make for some very interesting ski jump-like uh, um, things for the for the waves to launch themselves straight up, and you got these fifty foot uh, you know shooting up of water. 
you get like a like a ten foot wave rolling in, then shoots up another fifty feet when it meets a smooth lava flow, and up it goes, like it like it got a scoop, like a stone shovel scoop, and up it goes. So Hawaii's fascinating. Plus the Polynesian Cultural Center, one of my most favorite places on earth. That's where I learned to make fire with two sticks. That was cool. So I get some survival instincts from there. But you, you don't realize the range of of uh, you know, I guess they're calling them Pacific Islanders now, but the Polynesian folks from Tahiti to the Maldives to Hawaii to uh, uh, different, uh, all kinds of other places I've forgotten about now that I'm trying to think of them. <laughs> but um, they're out there. Solomon, uh, Solomon Islands, you know, different uh, Kwajalein, uh, the Marshall Islands, all these different peoples all throughout the Pacific. Ah, I just love Hawaii. Besides the fact that, uh, you know, we had, well, let me ask you a question. Why, why do you think they put the Navy in Pearl Harbor? All those, uh, you know, because it used to be in San Diego. That was where the big Navy port was. In San Francisco were the big Navy ports. Why move everything to Hawaii, which is still a territory at that point? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's away from the uh, homeland. <laughs> but, but they're to protect the homeland. So why would you do something as provocative, knowing that Japan has declared war on uh, China back in 1937? Why would we move our fleet to Pearl Harbor Unless you're saying they were there to guard the Pacific, you know, well, yeah, aircraft carriers. Of... The reason I would do it, you would okay. You would want to have uh, a checkpoint away from your mainland. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. So then, wouldn't you, wouldn't you do everything possible to ensure that either a Japanese invasion did not occur, or that you were at least looking for one? I mean, the radar was a good idea. So they had the radar. They saw the airplanes on radar. And then they said, don't worry about it? That doesn't make sense. I mean, and some things don't make sense. Well, they, I mean, had, they, had, they, they had radar, but radar that at that point in time could not view the surface of the ocean. No, but they, didn't, but they saw airplanes. Right? They, didn't look, they weren't looking at the ocean. Well, airplanes don't work too good when you fly at a certain altitude above the clouds. Yeah, that's true. Yep. But that's how ultimately we found the fleet uh, was with the old PBY Catalinas. Well, let me ask you. So here's another thing too. This is something Dr. Peter Pry used to talk about a lot too. That uh, finding airplanes with radar, you know, is, is now we think virtually impossible uh, because of stealth. And this new bomber that came out. So, so we, we can do our, we can put our pilot hats on now. The the B twenty one Raider, which looks uh, suspiciously like the B two. Two billion dollars an airplane. And yet, Dr. Peter Pry told us, and I did some research on this myself, stealth doesn't work. You can find these planes with big wave, low-frequency radars, similar to what they developed in World War II, to see the German bombers in the Battle of Britain. Now, they're better now. They're more mobile now. But stealth doesn't work. So why are we spending $2 billion in airplane? Why are we spending well, trillions probably on this bomber? Mm-hmm. Yeah, low-frequency radar, anything low-frequency have a problem with penetration. That's why come you have uh, FM radios for walkie-talkie when your security is inside a building. Mm-hmm. The antenna is very small. It's, it's operating in centimeter frequency range. But outside, a VHF has a rubber ducky. <laughs> so that's the difference. Well, AM radio waves are, are low frequency. They're they're big, fat waves that, uh, and they locate their their stations on water because it reflects better. And that's how you get skip off the ocean. Um, 
and uh, into the ionosphere and you hear AM stations, you know, sometimes across the world, even though they might only have a hundred watt transmitter because mm-hmm. this is a weird phenomenon called skip, but AM radio waves are low because they are terrain. Um, they, they go over and around terrain, whereas FM has to be line of sight because it's a much shorter wave and it gets blocked by mountains. So FM only works if you have, you don't have an obstruction in the way, which is great for airplanes because they're up high. So they can use the shorter frequency. We should talk about, let's, let's have a little science chat. This will be fun. Frequency and amplitude. AM is amplitude modulation. So AM frequent, all AM stations are on the same frequency. The only difference is the size of the wave. Whereas FM well, is frequency the modulation. Is type of, um, yeah, the difference is the type of amp- amplification. You got class A, class B, and class C amplification. Okay. Right. Uh, each one of the class A is good for modulation of transmitting voices, where class C is good for increasing the power, going from 50 watts, say, to 500 watts. Any way you look at it, your voice that you're speaking at now is riding on a signal on a frequency is piggybacking. Right. And the modulation comes like you get real close, you can overdrive it and it becomes distorted. Mm-hmm. But if you use a class A amplifier, it's not prone to the distortion that you would if you was losing using a class C amplifier. Hmm. Class A well, actually, put out there, but don't distort it that much. Yeah. Well, and that's where you get that clipping. Sometimes my voice sounds like it's breaking up, so I keep turning the gain down. So I'm actually putting out a very low signal here. In fact, sometimes the colors sound better, um, but it, I, mm-hmm. I like using my mic. But I have a headset on so that I can tell when uh, I'm too loud or my signal is not working or, you know, when there, when there are problems, you know, the quality of the sound. Uh, and so that's, you know, but, uh, but, the, but it's interesting, radio waves and, and radio things like that. Anyway, radar is radio you know really something. really interesting? And detection. That's what radar is. Anyway, go ahead. Tell me. If you listen to your uh, listen to your radio, and a signal that was transmitted 50 years ago, a program you hear today, would that be something? Well, now do you have skip in time? Because we have skip that allows uh, a signal to bounce off the ionosphere. That's way up there, folks. Uh, and come back. You know, that's how you can hear, like you know, Moscow radio. You know, sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, probably in Missouri. You know, that's Moscow, Russia. You got moon bounce. Amateur radios used to do moon bounce, too. Oh, okay. How's that work? I've never, I've never heard of moon bounce. What's that? Well, when you take a antenna, usually a Yagi, Yagi antennas, though, that's in line, have the reflectors, which are short, coming off okay. each side. And you point it to the moon. And you send a signal to the moon, it bounces back to the Earth. Huh. But that only works sometimes when the moon's overhead, though, wouldn't it? And, and how the moon would have to be well, the right angle to it. Okay. Yeah, if it's, if it's lower in the horizon, then the bounce signal would go further than if it was higher in the uh, sky because of the angle. Huh. See, I think it would be the opposite. The higher in the sky would allow for more transmission because it's a, it's a shorter path through the atmosphere. I think you get more distortion. You know, for the, that's why the moon looks bigger and, uh, and, and darker when it first rises because it has to go through all that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Much, you know, you before ever it gets do any you. VR? You, the frequency that you tune in for your VR signal, you know, when you tune in, I think that's 144.6. So that there is a, is a very high frequency. It's not an ultra high frequency like a 220, and especially a 440. But the 
your VF, VOR signals mm-hmm. when you fly an instrument is like the rubber ducky. Well, it's not like, well, I guess you could say it's like the rubber ducky type frequencies that a walkie-talker would be picking up. You should explain the rubber ducky before people think you're taking a bath. <laughs> rubber ducky is a long antenna on a walkie-talkie. It's a little longer. Yeah. If you use if you use a CB uh, walkie-talkies, they got a telescoping antenna that comes out in sections. It may end up being like uh, maybe oh, I'd say about uh, four and a half feet, nine feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the length of the antenna is a fraction of the the length of the frequency. Every frequency has a node which is a certain length. That's why uh, on a ninety, uh, for instance, on forty meters, eighty meters, forty meter antenna, a uh, eighty meter antenna is longer. Or should I say, a wire cut is longer than it would a forty. It, a twenty would be shorter. A ten would be shorter. 10 meters is like a ham FM. That's when you get to those small rubber duckies. <laughs> so how big is a 10-meter antenna? It's not 10 meters, which would be 30 feet. There's a formula, there's a formula that you can, uh, you can apply uh-huh. to well, determine see, I, I the C- length of your wires. See, I did CB when I was in high school. We had a CB radio club. And I had, I think, a 5 eighth wave antenna for CB. And we used to yeah. be we'd be on we'd be on channel nineteen talking to the truckers as they were coming through, finding out what they were carrying and is there any directions to the local restaurants and hotels and things like that. So we actually provided a service, but it was more it was more like a high school radio club. So I was on the C B all the time. It was the first party line. It was like it was like a social media for high school kids back in the seventies. And I loved it. I had a blast on it. And most of us didn't we, we eventually met, but for years, we did this for I did a couple of years junior and senior year of high school, uh, but we never met each other. So we were like these mystery voices out there. So, uh, so my radio experience goes way back. <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been in some kind of radio communication, yeah. you know, for a long time. I, you know? I am a ham radio operator, but I'm not active. Hmm. And I used to love to do CW, which is continuous wave. And you get the dits and dots by breaking that wave. That's how the uh, dits and dots uh, is formed. Well, that but so, no, I used to enjoy doing it. And we should, of course, we used to do it at different times of the night, at different times of the day, should I say. Yeah, ham radio, but you I never know who's station. on the other end. Yeah. yeah, I worked a station in Walla Walla, Washington. At a certain time, a certain date, in one year, then a year afterwards, to the minute, I worked it again. The same date and to the minute, I worked it again. Huh. And that, that was uh, something else. Well, I think we've lost something, too. Social media and some of the electronics have taken away some of the things like ham radio. But ham radio took work. You had to take a course. You had to learn how to do it. You had to get yourself a radio set. You had, to, uh, you had your own assigned code. You know, there was radio etiquette. Use words like over and over and out. You know, Roger Wilco. You know, all those different kinds of things. It was kind of fun. But uh, pilot radio, same thing. Well, fact, we had started, a war. Yeah, that's true. You ever have a war and they take down them satellites, those mm-hmm. geostationary satellites, then the only uh, meaningful way to communicate will be with those type of radio apparatuses. But like and they were low tech too, right? Have, yeah, they were. Yeah, weren't they like you know, vacuum tubes? Yeah, but ham radios. They yeah, were like vacuum, vacuum tube radios. Tube. Oh, geez, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Do, yeah, they, do they make modern? Do that now. 
are there modern ham radios that are much more compact that are maybe digital? After the after the uh, space program, many things became miniature because you couldn't have anything big and bulky, right. you know, going into more space. It, it was more weight. It just wasn't seasonal. So they started miniaturizing things, especially with the transistor. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, this is fun. I'm going to do more research, research on stealth, though, because I think that uh, – if more people knew that stealth doesn't, maybe I'll do. Maybe I'll talk to Mike, Mike Clinch, our science guy, and see if we can get him in on, a, on a why stealth doesn't work conversation. So just let folks know, uh, and this is going to be fascinating. I'll be talking about this tomorrow. I think it works I think to a degree. What stealth does? The well, yeah, it reduces those traits. Yeah, but if you if you reduce those wings in that surfaces right. so that uh, a radar signal don't bounce back. Yeah, but then they don't fly uh, the well. They don't fly huh? well. They don't fly well. Well, you're, well, I know that, but that's what you have to you have to compromise. Uh, it's not like a four, 18 wheeler going down the road where that's the ideal uh, surface in order to have a good radar signal to come back at 90 degrees. I'm sorry, 180 degrees. But when you start uh, tilting things over, it bounces and you know goes off into another direction. So. Uh, well, it works to a certain extent. See, if I were going to do this, I'd either send in a bunch of drones to destroy their their radar installations, you know, or or a bunch of missiles to destroy their radar installations. Then I'd send in your good old garden variety F-15, 16s, uh, uh, or 18s. There was an F-17, but it didn't quite work out. But you got 16s, uh, 18s, uh, 15, 16, and 18. Those jets still work. They work fine, actually. Um, but it's uh, well, the drones they got the ability to. Oh, the F-22? Well, no, they got the ability to block drone signals. And then they just fall off the sky. Yeah, see, so the electronic work. That transmitter that you, that yeah. transmitter that you uh, mm-hmm. hold in your hand, really, in many cases, it's your smartphone. It yeah. works within a certain frequency range, and they can block them. Just like uh, during the riots, uh, certain telephone, your cell phones wouldn't work. Because they were blocking the signal. They were overwhelming the signal. Yeah. Do we still have wax? Remember those 707s with the, the big radar dome up top? Look like a huge Frisbee. AWOC? I think they do, but I'm, I couldn't tell you. You know, the satellites are taking the place of a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. So we got satellites watching the, the worldwide scene. We've got drones, we've got missiles. Why do we need stealth aircraft? And, you know, because the more stealthy you make it, the, the less it's able to fly. Now, the F-22 is pretty yeah, stealthy. Right. You know, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll grant the F-22 is pretty stealthy, but it, in reality, it's it's a really good airplane. So they've actually managed to, to do a hybrid. But the F-35 sucks. It's a terrible airplane. Well, you know, satellites look down and radar look forward at you. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's why you design a plane to reflect that signal so it doesn't go back and reveal you. But a satellite is geostationary, looking down, and then you can do with that. Go see you. Yeah, that's why I figure by the time an airplane goes in, a, a manned or a personed airplane, all those radar installations should have been taken out by missiles and drones, and cruise cruise missiles, regular missiles, and drones, so that you got to you know, command and communication was the C three control command communication centers. You take it. This is what we did in, in the Iraq War when we went to Baghdad. The first thing we knocked out were the communication centers. Then the radar, then mm-hmm. the anti-aircraft, and then uh, 
Then we send in the tanks. <laughs> but you don't send the tanks at first because you know where they are. They're not that fast. So, well, you know, know you have to think uh, about this too. Okay. Where did Iraq get it? Where did Iraq get its detection equipment from? They didn't make it. They got from Russia or China. I think Russia. It's from Russia, and you mm-hmm. are getting it from a more like the United States. They're not going to sell you anything that you can use to circumvent their abilities. And I mm-hmm. always have said to myself that Russia and the United States sell secrets. You know, we come out with the F-4 Phantom. They come out with something that looks like an F-15. They go back and forth. Oh, they definitely steal stuff from us. I mean, most of the Chinese fighters look like uh, uh, like our fighters, the Russian fighters. Well, the, the McCoyans and the, 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 uh, the Sukhois are, are kind of interesting. But, I mean, we, we went to two tails. They went to two tails. You know, you look at the airliners. They had a – I don't know if they had a version of 707, but they certainly had a version – um, of the BC-10, the 727, you know, they, they've copied all our airplanes. And so, so thieving, you know, I, I, we should steal stuff from them. Let's, let's get a, let's get a MiG-31, see what we can do with that. But to me, I, I miss talking about the technology. I miss having Peter Pry on the show is what it is. I really want to get back into, I need a good national security person. So I'm going to work on that. See if we can, uh, we can get that part of our show back again, because it's a, it's a vital part of what's going on. Uh, and this is why I have the international news group page now. So people can check internationally. All right. So, in an hour, uh, we're going to have the, uh, the Senator Johnson's um, public um, display of what they've already talked about privately. So <laughs> whatever it is, they've, they've already discussed what they're going to talk about. So it's, I don't think we're going to get any revelations, but just the fact that they're talking about this is going to make news. And I looked at the hearing online, and the first uh, like 30 posts uh, were about why he's wrong and why he's, a, he's a, an idiot and why it's a conspiracy theory and everything else. So once you get through those, then you can get to the real thing. But uh, again, my, my dream uh, for this hearing would be that they bring up our vaccine product liability bill and uh, our, our big tech bill. And were I to be on that panel, that, that I would absolutely bring those up and say, look, you guys, you're still talking problems. We've got solutions. You know, let's go. Anyway, that's my last thought. Pianchi, last hey, you thought? Know the, we'll, uh, we'll pick it up tomorrow. The best way to get those across is to hand deliver them, believe it or not. But, uh, I think you already gave it to someone to hand deliver. We did that with um, with uh, Bikers for Trump. Actually, took our bills. They printed up copies. They rode their motorcycles from Pensacola, Florida, to Washington D.C. It was back when Trump was in office. They they knocked on the White House door. Of course, this is all prearranged. The media was there, and they they hand presented a bunch of our bills to uh, uh, Trump White House staff. And then they got involved in impeachment. We didn't hear too much. But yeah, we did. Yeah. Know, in fact, this is why. We, well, all right. So just so people know, I'm looking for lobbyists. So if you are an ambitious person and you would like to be a lobbyist for Action Radio, in other words, hand carry bills to members of Congress in Congress or your state capital, you know, get a hold of me here. You can call the show. Uh, you can get on live chat. Uh, you can email me, Greg at writeyourlaws.com. That's my public email. So there's a variety of ways to get a hold of, uh, of us. If you want to write a bill, you can do the same thing. You can just post it directly to writeyourlaws.com. There's many ways to be active here, but I'm looking for lobbyists, citizen lobbyists, people that actually want to take bills, hand carry them into legislators' offices with appointments, okay, make an appointment to talk to them. And, and legislative aides are just as good as the legislature, the legislative themselves. In fact, in many cases, they're better because they're the people that really make the decisions on, on what, on what uh, a legislator will see, you know, when they're not, you know, going to uh, celebrations, you know, <clears throat> bridge openings, you know, fundraising, uh, executive dinners, and all the other stuff they do. Epstein's Island, you know, whatever. 
But uh, so so make so learn. I will teach people how to make appointments and talk to legislators and how to how to present bills and all that kind of good stuff. But that's what we're looking for. So so it's time for us to take another quantum leap. Twenty twenty three, I think, is going to be very interesting for us. You got any forecasts? We we got to start doing that, Pianki. You know, goals for twenty twenty three. No, I don't. But you know, I wanted to say this: people electing mm-hmm. Congress people, people, these people don't. A lot of the time, these people don't know what the hell they doing. They were <laughs> one place in one day. And the next day they find themselves here. Mm-hmm. And really, tell us, I mean, just be truthful with them. They might have been auto mechanics the day before. But uh, when it comes down to the intricacies of how to uh, create bills and bills become uh, uh, acts, they don't know what to know. They don't understand that. It's just a learning process for them. And many times they have someone there assigned to them to help them along. Yeah, lobbyist usually, <laughs> a big pharma lobbyist or a big tech lobbyist or some lobbyist from some corporate group. Uh, in fact, that's I heard that I think it was Matt Gates who told us way back when that the orientations, or maybe I heard it on the news, but the orientations of new members of Congress is not done by the Congress. It's not even done by the parties. It's done by the lobbyists. The lobbyists take them around Washington. Yeah. The lobbyists Warnack, show them around the Capitol. Warnack don't have the slightest damn idea what the hell he's doing in Congress. And you can say the same thing about. Of Herschel Walker. The only thing is different is that you got the party affiliation. It's more about the party than anything. But mm-hmm. he's a preacher. Him going into Congress and understanding how this, that, and the other work, which he's never have talked about it, not in mm-hmm. personal conversation nor in any of his sermons, he don't know. Yeah. No, it's very true. Uh, these people, in fact, uh, that's one of the dangers of parties is it, it allows members of Congress not to have to think. They don't even have to make a decision. All they have to do is do what the party tells them to do. And in most cases, both parties will tell their members what to do. That's what the whip is for. Uh, I'm sure it goes back to slavery. <laughs> but the Republican and the Democrat whip are the people that whip up. They literally are there to, to make sure that people vote along the party line. That's their job. That's an official position. So it's the most unrepresentative. Come. Go ahead. That's why come it don't work like it should. It should work you and I like your bills. Mm-hmm. You and a group of people sat down and you came up with the idea about limiting Congress' ability to borrow money. Okay? Then you say, okay, somebody's got to run for office so we can get there, or we're going to have to make appointments, which is not as good as if we was there because you can see your other networks every day. So then mm-hmm. you choose someone amongst you, then you uh, you select them, then you finance them, then you elect them, then you give them your agenda to go to the big house and carry mm-hmm. forth what it is. That's how they're supposed to work. Mm, that's how I yeah. believe it will work. Elect somebody, yeah. elect somebody, then they go off to the big house, then they are uh, jumped on by these lobbyists. And they never have to make a decision, and they never have to think, and they never have to worry about their campaign money as long as they, they follow the party line, and they never have to actually re- represent the people that elected them. This is why your emails don't work and your, your letters to – And they uh, told why you know. come you – this is how you, we want you to vote. You can't mm-hmm. say this to AFT, American Federation of Teachers, and the National, Associ- National Education Association. They communicate with your state legislatures in particular. And further on with your Congress people. They yeah. told how to yeah. vote. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the lobbyists tell them how to vote. In fact, the, the lobbyists, the, the parties tell people how to vote. You know, you get your Democrat Party platform, vote for these people, or your Republican Party platform, vote for these people. So that even the voters don't have to think. I mean, the whole system is geared so that nobody has to think. It's really pretty sad. You're absolutely right. They're giving a slate. Mm-hmm. Slate looks just like the ballot. All they got to do is, is copy uh, what's on the, the handout slate, mm-hmm. copy it right onto your ballot by pushing yep. those buttons. And putting yep. the marks or whatever in there. Yeah. So I think for 2023, if I can make a, a goal for, for Action Radio, it's going to be to make the bills more important than the individual representatives. So what we're trying to do, the bills themselves, the actual laws that we're trying to change, should be more important and of, of more prominence in the media and everywhere else than the legislators themselves. So instead of interviewing the, the, the legislators, the members of Congress about an issue, you know, actually consider the bill first and then see what the members of Congress think about the bill, think about the law that we're trying to change. That's my goal, is to reverse the current practice. And you know, legislate, you know go ahead. another thing, uh-huh. that state legislature has the ability to call that congressperson into the state session, legislative session, and get, read them the riot act. <laughs> I mean, think yeah. about it. Yeah, that congressperson is elected in a district within the state, and also that district has representatives at the state legislature level that mm-hmm. represent that district that the congressperson is elected from. So mm-hmm. that con- that, that legislature has the power to tell that congressperson, "We want you here certain day, certain time. We need to talk." Yeah, it's interesting. We had uh, one of my first guests when I played that interview, Matthew Phoebe, who I'm going to have back on the show, talked about the fact he didn't want Congress going to Washington at all. He thought they should be uh, in their district the entire time, which was should, kind of it. You, you can get that right. And why I is it that people uh-huh. elect a legislature, then they turn around and elect the congressperson at the federal level that can circumvent what they did at the legislature level in their state? Don't make no sense. Well, that's interesting. Well, I see. I like the idea that the uh, that the congressional districts elect the House, but what we need to do is get rid. Of, I think it's the Seventeenth Amendment. Oh, here we go. Seventeenth Amendment: The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, elected by the people thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. The electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for the electors of the. Okay, here we go. But in other words, the Senate should not be elected by the people of each state. The Senate should be elected by the state legislatures. So this one, let's see where which yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely one. right. Well, that's what it used to be. Seventeenth Amendment. Really, should... when you look at the jobs of the the Senate, the Senate uh-huh. is supposed the Senate is supposed to bring commerce back to the state. Congressperson don't have can't do that because the congresspersons uh-huh. representation is more concentrated into an area, but a senator is over the entire state. That's why you have two for both sides. So the senator. Mm-hmm. should bring commerce, whether it's manufacturing, Boeing aircraft, or whatever, back to the well-being of the entire state. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and people forget that the senators, there's two senators because each state is equal uh, in representation in Congress. So the, the reason that California has two senators and Rhode Island has two senators uh, is because they're both equal. Now, they happen to have be different Absolutely. sizes, but that's not, but that's not the point. They're, in, in terms of representation, they're both equal. So it's interesting that both the 16th Amendment and the 17th Amendment were, were ratified in 1913. 
right before World War mm-hmm. I, which I find interesting. So the 16th Amendment says the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. That one needs to go. The 17th Yeah, Amendment, when it said without apportionment. Yeah. Because a California with a greater population mm-hmm. has a greater population to spread their share of the federal budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you take the federal budget divided by fifty, then those states divided by their population, mm-hmm. then it works out much much better. What's but the way it is now, without a portion, yeah, yeah, without a portion, they can raise taxes up up and down however they want. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the states were assessed uh, their tax by the by the Congress based on how many people they had. That makes sense. Yeah, how many right. working people? I'm not sure how it works. Yeah, but apportion. Mm-hmm. What the what the IRS does now is they apportion by income. So in other words, they graduate it, which is right out of the Communist Manifesto. So they graduate the tax that at fifteen thousand dollars a year you pay so much tax, and at thirty thousand you pay so much, and fifty thousand whatever the gradations are. At a hundred thousand, you know the, the 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 bracket changes, you know, all the way up to the top bracket. You know, once you earn over, I don't know, half a million a year or whatever, however they arrange it. But the thing is, that's out of the Communist Manifesto, the graduated income tax, so that the more you earn uh, each time you, you make a the jump in you, brackets, you, you pay a greater percentage of your income. And that should, that's unconstitutional. That violates equal protection. You know, everybody should be taxed at the same rate. Yeah. So the I, I would Joe violate. Lewis was being taxed at 79%. Yeah, say that again so, so people get it. I, I want to hear it too. Joe Lewis, the heavyweight boxing champ for for United States, called a brown bomber. Mm-hmm. He was being taxed at seventy nine percent. And when he fought for exhibitions for ISO, USO, I believe it was uh, the organization that is designed to provide some sort of entertainment for sellers. I mean, that's soldiers. Yep, yeah. that's USO. Yep. Yeah, his prize money. He would. His prize money in exhibition fights, he would turn it over to the USO mm-hmm. to go to the soldiers. Right. But the IRS taxed him, even though he never cashed the check. And at the end yeah, of his they life, said he earned it. Yeah, they said he, they said he earned it. That's how they got away with that. Even if he didn't yeah. collect it and spend it, he still earned it. So you tax on your earnings, not what you do with them, even if you don't claim them. Still well, then they got this thing called unrealizer. He didn't never realize them. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> no, pretty bizarre. Now, we can use the IRS for our own purposes for, for uh, using it to asset forfeiture everybody with an ITIN number. That would be a good thing. Without uh, without due process. Well, they can go out, they can levy, they can levy you and take your money without due process. Well, you can if they're illegal aliens because the, the, they're not allowed to be here. They have no status. Talking about what you mentioned, I was just saying oh. on the other end. And yeah, you're right. What you're saying, they should. Okay. But the thing is, is that uh, they can go after your. Uh, they got the ability to take your money without due process. Oh, you I just wake up one morning and try well, yeah. to it. It don't work. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's. I had an idea that uh, I was thinking of writing a bill. Uh, that would do something like that. Yeah, that uh, it has to go. You have to have a conviction in a court of law before the IRS could seize anything. But also that uh, compliance costs would be paid for by the IRS. 
So anytime they go after a small company or they go after an individual, anything they want to do, that all, they pay all the compliance costs of complying with their investigation. That would take away the incentive, A, to just do random investigations just to cost people money. Uh, and it would also show up, uh, you know, if they're doing too many, if, they, if their investigation budget is so huge, it's going to show up that they're, they're paying all this money in compliance costs for all these ridiculous investigations. So eh, we got things in the works. It's, it's going to be a busy year next year. And a lot of things I need to do. All right. So but those two amendments, the 16th and the 17th, particularly, if we can get rid of the, uh, the income tax, the federal income tax, states can do what they want. But the federal income tax, and if the, the election goes back to um, the senators are, are, are elected by their state uh, legislatures, either appointed or elected by members of the state legislatures, then uh, that'd be a long way to get our republic back. On that note, I'm done. I'm hungry. I got 45 minutes before the, okay, the, well, look, the, the big meeting. Yeah. Uh-huh. You have a happy uh, commemorative day, and uh, we'll catch you tomorrow. Sounds good. And tomorrow we've got uh, – thanks, Bianca. I really appreciate your help today. Tomorrow we've got uh, David Stockman, who is the, um, the, was the budget director for Ronald Reagan. And I'll be – now I get to learn all about inflation again. <laughs> so this is going to be kind of fun. Um, I had a musical thing I was going to play for you. Let me see it. I like to do musical selections every once in a while. So we're back tomorrow, usual time, 7 a.m. Central Time. Again, our website, the, the show is at blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Uh, and our legislative site, this is the big one. This is where you want to go. That also you can connect to the show too, writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. It's right on your broadcast page, writeyourlaws.com. And then you want to go, if you want to see the good laws, the ones that need sharing, you go to legislation on the menu bar. And then all proposed laws is like the third item down. And you'll find the vaccine product liability. You'll find big tech censorship. You'll find our constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money, uh, our disarmament of the illegal federal agencies, and a bunch of other stuff. Anyway, let me play you a little Mozart and uh, a couple of other things. And I will see you tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time. Okay, bye-bye. See ya. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. 
The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.